Hello, welcome to episode 117 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast, with me, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfrey Deadman. Before you come in, Renfrey, not that this will affect anyone's listening, you've got a little thing in your beard, a little blob of oh, no. ch- crumb of cheese. What on earth is that? Yeah. Let's have a no, look. I don't know. Oh, oh dear. don't bring it closer to the fucking screen, <laughs> you dirty get. I'm really glad <laughs> you told it, I'm really glad you told everyone um that. I don't think it was cheese. I don't know what it was. Uh maybe a Mustard? bit of milk. Well, bit all I all I've had this morning is a cup of coffee. So I don't the, know. The 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 trials and tribulations of having a beer. <laughs> On the show this week, my god, it's fucking busy as fuck <sighs> this week. 8 releases that we are going to be talking about from Pussifer, Mr. Bungle, Bring Me the Horizon, The Eels, Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou, Nothing, Zelenada and Pup. Few, Phew-wee, wowzers. Oh, what I, a big show. I do enjoy this time of year. <laughs> yeah, and if you can't handle that eight reviews, get out now. I've got people <laughs> queuing up to work inside this Bureau de Change. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, we want to say a big thank you before we move on any further to our friends over at Signature Brew. Good, Ooh. good people. Good people. Um, I, as, oh, I, I'm so on. sorry. I'm just, I'm just super excited about trying their new beer quite genuinely as well, because it's a peach iced tea beer. What's the name of it again? Oh, it's gone, it's gone straight in. It's gone I've, straight I've in. I was going to kind of well, you know, introduce... Well, no, no, I know, I know, I know. But I'm so excited by the thought. I mean, I really, really like, uh, it's called Polyphonic Peach. That's what it's mm. called. I really, really like fruity beers, as we've discussed. Taste the passion. Yep. Um, and oh, uh, please. Okay. Uh, I was just reminding people. And um, <laughs> yeah, this, this, uh, the idea of a peach iced tea beer fills me with joy it's a hazy sour beer which emits a vivid spectrum of peach flavors which blend with the honey and grape aromas of the darjeeling tea i didn't just read that from a um press release i came up with that off the top of my head even though i've not um uh, tried this beer at all and even that is exactly what the press release says <laughs> oh how you're fooling, funny you're fooling no one um i'm just looking at it this is what i think is cool so just to give so if in case you didn't know who signature brew were um since 2011 they've been brewing music inspired beers in east london um i am well i know you are i'm hopefully i still haven't actually sorted this out hopefully going to go to the black peaks show um mm, yes. this coming week black peaks doing a socially distant show at their uh, their brewery so that should be a bit of a laugh I'm, yes it's two weeks time yeah is it two weeks? No, uh, it's the they are doing them. Oh, should have brought this up beforehand. They are. I doing think it's the third. The... My mate texts me going, "I'm going on the third, which is this week." Well, unless he's got the date wrong. Mate's definitely got the date wrong because it's actually silly the 10th, bastard. The tenth, oh, the eleventh, right, okay. and the twelfth of okay, uh, fine November. I might going to have to let him know that because I think he thinks it's on the third. He texted me yesterday going, see you on Tuesday. But the beautiful thing about Signature Brew is if he just turned up on the third. Have a beer. He'd yeah. just have a beer. You know, they'd just be like, oh, it's all right, mate. Mm. Come on in. Have a beer. Because yeah. they're those kind of people. <laughs> those kind of people. What I like about the, I mean, obviously we've said before, Idols, Mastodon, Sports Team, Enet Shikari, Jamie Lenman. They've worked with all kinds of people creating their um, their various beverages over the years. Still waiting, uh, and still more waiting Mastodon. for ours, just saying. Still waiting for ours. Yeah, I wonder what ours would taste like. Be very bitter. Um, what I like about the the peach, um, the the polyphonic peach, the iced tea peach sour that we were just talking about. Oh yeah, um, the one we've comes not tried. with 
No, we're not trying. <laughs> but the, I'm looking at the playlist here, and I'm guessing one of the guys over at Signature Brew have done this playlist. Obviously, the Polyphonic Spree are in there because I think that's sort of what it seems like it was named after. Um, do you want to try and guess some of the other songs that um, are on? If Peaches by Presidents of the United States of America is, that is not there, then I'd be that, stunned. That is the second song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are the Peach songs? I mean, Terrorvision had that album Shaving Peaches, but it's a not very good album, and I don't think there's a no. Peach-related song on there. No. Uh, peaches, Peaches. Pe- Surely the artist Peaches is on there somewhere? Uh, the artist Peaches is not on there. There's oh. a really obvious one uh, alongside Peaches by Presidents that I would have thought you would have got by now. Oh dear! Peaches that... by the the Stranglers, walking down the oh. beaches, looking at the peaches. Peach fuzz by Tyler the Creator. That's good. Six in the morning by Ice T. Not sure what that's got to do with peaches, but I fucking love that song. Well, but it's um, the Ice T reference, isn't it? Because there's the Ice T. Ah, yes, Ice T is also. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Institutionalized by Body Count is in there as well. Um, bit of a shame that the song Peach by Prince. Do you know that song? No. Fucking great song. Okay. I mean, Prince, does it go, Prince is... Prince. Peach, a sexy motherfucker. A bit, yeah. It kind yeah. of does a bit, yeah. actually. Yeah, That, that surprises um, so, me. No. <laughs> uh, that, that feels like you're slightly mugging off Prince, which <laughs> mm, nah, nah. we we can't have. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So thanks very much to those guys. If you want to get yourself some polyphonic peach, I think I might do that. I might try it. I, I, it going, I, I bloody want some. I'm definitely going to have some um, at one of those Black Peak shows. Yeah, yeah, mm. 100%. Yeah, I, bet, I bet you are. Uh. Um, <laughs> go, over to, go over to signaturebrew.co.uk, put the code RIOTACT, all one word, in small capitals, <laughs> uh, in the <laughs> checkout, and, uh, and you'll get 10% off all of your purchases. All of your purchases. Uh, from the Signature Brew website, we should say. Not not like all of your purchases for the rest of time from any website any, every, anywhere, you know. Right. You yeah. don't want to confuse I mean, that, things. I thought, I mean, that was fairly heavily implied, I would have thought. <laughs> I just, just want to make things clear. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But um, yeah, thanks very much to those guys. Um, we also want to give a, um, a little nudge to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast there's just been as we sit here recording only mere hours ago um we did and pretty much nearly feature length episode mm. on california by mr bungle we're going to talk about mr bungle in a minute so we probably shouldn't talk too much about it but mm. that was over an hour and a half wasn't it it was just shy of an hour and a half just shy okay. of an hour and a half i mean we tried to we sort of treated it a little bit as a primer for mr bungle because um as i mentioned on on that podcast uh, a lot of people have heard the name Mr. Bungle, but I don't know how many, I'm sure far, far fewer of those people have actually bothered to check Bungle out. It, 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 it's a very intimidating back catalogue, full stop. It really is. Um, yeah. We went, we plumped with, to. we went with California. All of the records have been suggested for Patreon, which is yeah. not surprising, really, because you guys have very good taste. Uh, we plumped for California, A, because two people chose it, and B, because it's, I think, by far the easiest uh, entry point for Bungle. And it's my favourite. I might have done a classic album on that. Had mm. we not have done, I might have done that. Um, so that's over on patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast. That's for anyone who wants to give us a quid or more. If you sign up for the £5 tier, obviously you get two very, very elongated um, classic album podcasts a month, one of my picks, one of Renfrey's picks, and it's a brand new month starting from Monday when the next one will be going out. So it will be my pick coming for you Monday. 
I'm very excited about this. The Beastie Boys. Now, I would imagine, as I say that, people are going, oh, I want what, Paul's Boutique, I assume. No, uh, I'm not licensed to ill either. We're doing ill communication. And there are many reasons why I've picked ill communication and I'm not going to go into them here. But what I will say is I'm very much looking forward to doing a big old chat on the Beastie Boys because I don't think I've ever really talked about the Beastie Boys and how much I love them um, anywhere on a sort of audio format before ever. Okay. Feels a bit harsh to go from uh, one of the most eclectic, influential rap stroke rock punk bands with such a fantastic social conscious like the beastie boys into talking about fever 333 again who got fucked over last <laughs> week when they were compared to clipping and then i've just mentioned the beastie boys and i'm gonna talk about fever 333 again um because i watched their live stream on friday mm-hmm. so i suppose it's worth mentioning that yes um as we said in our review last week fever 333 far better live band yep. than they are on record. I don't think that's well, I don't think that's up for debate at all, really, is it? Like that's nah. that's pretty cut and dried clear. They are they are good live. They are really, really good live. And um I think one of the things I said last week is that you can listen to their records, I think, and you can kind of forget just who's involved because it's so sort of well, I'd say pretty mundane. Um and the people who made that music have made music before, which is nothing like that um i have to say when, i don't fully agree with that point but that's your your opinion and that's fair enough yeah 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 um uh well i mean i suppose jason's voice still sounds like jason but yeah. it's so kind of covered in stuff that, that, that i'm like that's yeah i mean it's jason primarily i mean i don't go oh that's the guitarist of the chariot <laughs> you know <laughs> no, at, at all definitely not um no. Uh, I mean, some of those drum fills, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I, know, I understand what you're saying. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but live, you know, they are a lot better. Um, we sort of spoke about this with No Effects, how your, I guess your sort of, your shortcomings as a band get hideously magnified when there's no audience there and you're just sitting there watching them on, on a computer. And although we spoke before about how Fever 333 are so heavily reliant on um i think they should be about a five piece like i don't really understand why they're just a three piece i think they need to i think they should try and find a way to play that stuff live i mean it particularly hit me the other day where i was like why don't you just get a bass player and another guitarist and maybe you get a keyboard player or something or like a synth player or something i don't why don't you do that i i would much rather they did i i wish they did because um Mm. it is one of the it's one of the few things that i have to acknowledge when i go to see them live that you know um there's a slight kind of um hypocritical element of me that that said you know goes on about how amazing a live band they are and yet i wang on and on and on about how i hate backing tracks with um with live music and it is true and it is a bit of a bugbear i find with fever 333 when i'm actually there in the room um i tend to get so swept up with it that it's not that it doesn't matter at all but it matters less than it would with Mm. other bands but um would i prefer that stuff to be played live and for them to find a way to play it like yeah absolutely it it's really it's kind of annoying i don't know if it's this obsession with three 
you know, with the fucking numeral three, this whole kind of three, you know, the strengths in numbers, three, three thing. I mean, I don't know, but it's a dumb thing to get hung up on, frankly, um, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah. And I mean, they, I think they would be better if they were playing stuff live. But, and I think that really, it really stood out how little they do live. Do you know what I mean? There were moments where there was full, a full band playing. Yeah. And all three of them were like, you know, the drummer stood on his stool. Uh, the guitarist has got his hands behind his back and the, your singer's rolling around on the floor and his mic's on the other side of the stage. Mm. And yet there's still a full band playing. And you're like, oh, I mean, you're literally not doing anything at all. Mm. You're literally just run, running around. But like I said at the time, I'm not that annoyed by that really, because I think a lot of bands do do that today. And at least they're, it, you know, at least it's absolutely blatant. We're going to be talking about Bring Me Their Eyes in a bit. At least well, like, right, yeah. they, you know, there's no pretense that, that they are playing those, you know, they are playing those bits live. It's completely like, hey, you know, we want to be this exciting crazy live band and you know and the little cuboid thing that they had which was um uh a bit like if you've ever seen kanye west set from glastonbury or, or i think he did saturday night live as well um sort of famously it's a similar sort of setup to that where there was a kind of like i say a kind of they were in like a cube a bit like biffy clyro it was not really so much like biffy because biffy clyro were in a kind of mirrored cube but fever 33 had uh, video on the floor, video behind them, video either side of them. Okay. So uh, things were getting projected, and I think was it above them? It might. Have, I don't think it was above them actually, but they had this kind of cube thing, and images were being projected from like all angles. You know, images of war and riots and protests and political figures and you know things from history and stuff. And again, it's one of the things where you think. I mean, this shit's like, it's, it's fucking powerful. And the message, like I said last week, I would never doubt the sincerity of the message and I would never doubt the importance of the message at all. Um, but it really did hammer home what I said last week, which is that the kind of the bluster of that means that you just kind of, you're being hit by sort of so much stuff that not a lot was kind of coming through. And the only time that I really felt like I was watching uh, a human being was the the bits in between songs where Jason would stop and he would speak. And you could tell that, it, you know, it was totally off the cuff. It was completely what he was feeling at that time. There was nothing that had been prepared about it. He talked about his family, he talked about how scared he was. Like he, he's saying that he brought, a, you know, his, his wife gave birth just before lockdown. And they were like one of the last families to come out of the hospital when it, you know, they were just allowed in and out of the hospital. Um, it talked about the election. It talked about, you know, how he felt about what was going on in America at the time and at, at this time and what's been going on the last few months. He's talking about what he hopes for the future and all of that stuff. I was like, oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's that guy from Let Live who I was just thought was amazing. Yeah. And I didn't, ever feel like that to not to that extent he never he never reached me in the same way while they were playing live he never reached you in that same way through the music itself yeah mm. through the music i mean he was again he sounds great mm. he fucking looks amazing he gives so much energy you could tell like after about 20 seconds i mean they started they had this kind of the whole line of 
riot police were stood in front of the camera when it started and he was just screaming in their faces and you were like wow this is a really really fucking cool start and you've got all this shit going on but as soon as you kind of get used to the 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 visuals and when you sort of realize that songs you know like i would say like they started with bite back and again like it was actually like a much better than the album recorded version because it was suddenly this just like explosion of energy. And I don't think it quite is on record. Certainly not to certain to the same extent. I found that watching them at the forum last year or the year before, whenever it was the, yeah, it must've been last year. The songs on strengths in numbers, even the ones that I didn't really like sounded so much better live. So I mean, even like against all the odds against every, thing my brain possibly could have told me supremacy which we discussed last week as being a real kind of clunker mm. it worked really really well right in that live in that in that live setting i mean i still don't think it's a very good song mm. but i think it allowed them to actually sort of sit back a bit and and you at least felt like, and, and you know like my criticism last week of i don't really feel like they've got any songs or they haven't got enough songs i mean i don't think supremacy is a great song but at least it kind of cut through and you went, okay, well, I know what this is about where shit like wrong generation. It it was all kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of bluster. It's a lot of extraneous stuff that was going on in that live stream. And I think the core of it, there's not really a lot at the, at the core of it. It's like a lot of makeup. It's like an ugly, you know, an ugly person wearing a lot of makeup and having plastic surgery and filled with Botox and with fake everything. Do you know what I mean? It felt a lot like this is so superfluous, false kind of stuff. And I think actually, if they were to concentrate on writing, they don't need to write, you know, I I just think, like I said last week, I think they're better than what they're showing here. And I think the stream again... It was a lot of bluster, which actually kind of, I found sort of distracting from the the purpose of them as a band. Mm. Um, But they are probably a, they're a much, they're an, you know, it's, it's an exciting live band. Um, I, but I found myself getting a bit bored by the end of it. I found myself getting a bit fatigued by the end because I didn't really feel like once you get through all of that, the first 20 minutes, I was like, it's actually pretty good. And then towards the end, I was like, I'm feeling quite fatigued because I don't think there's anything that's of any substance here, really, other than the message. I mean, that's not good that the most the most exciting part of your band set is when all the lights go down and your singer just talks on a microphone for five minutes. When that's the bit that makes you go fucking hell, like this guy's amazing. Mm, mm. That's not a really a very good sign, I don't think. Mm. Do you think it would have um, any effect on people who... Um, because I feel like Fever three three three. It's almost like the same sort of um, arguments that are thrown at idols, in that you know they take a very basic bitch approach to this kind, this kind of politic, and so on and so forth. Um, but I think the thing is, is there's been a lot of people who have just been like not voting one way or the other. If you just or or whatever, if you just look at the way that like. Um, politics has gone in these last few years a lot of it has um, happened through apathy do you think they would people who are on the fence do you think they would change those people's minds one way or the other and do you think they're even reaching those people 
Well, I, I think there's there's a kind of clarity to what idols are doing. There's a very distinct, you know, and, and I don't think, I don't really know, something like bite back, I don't, I don't really know what that means. Whereas never fight a man with a perm, you listen to that and you go, okay, well, what you're saying essentially is you're talking about the idea of toxic masculinity and how dangerous that can be. And you're saying it in a very matter of fact way yeah. but i know exactly what you're talking about and yeah. i know exactly what you're you're focusing on you fucked with the wrong you know like fuck you i won't do what you tell me is a is and you know i, I feel like we've been saying it every week since the idols of the album came out kick out the jams motherfucker white riot i want to riot fuck you i won't do what you tell me those things are you know they're, they're very, blunt but they're, they're very broad but they're, kind of, but they're broad as well aren't they yeah. yeah but the difference is is that there's a hell of a lot more that in the MC5 and the Clash and Rage Against the Machine, where they are pointedly specific about exactly what it is that they are fighting for and fighting against. And when Jason spoke about those things, I was like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm. But I do think there's not enough because these songs are so are so basic and they're so um they are essentially, like I said last week, I think they've something like Block is on Fire or All Wrong Generation. It's just a chorus. It's just a chorus. Mm. It's just something to chant. And that's all you you want that, mm. but you need more that but you need more than that. Mm. And I kind of came away from it going, Okay, well you've just I mean, I hate to make this comparison, and you're probably gonna really not like this comparison, but it's not a lot different to the that five finger death punch video, really where Five Finger Death Punch were like, don't wear masks and don't follow, quote unquote, authority. Whereas what Fever 333 are saying is unity and fuck the man. We won't be trodden down on. And it's like, well, those things, I don't really know exactly what it is that you, what you mean by that. What you are actually kind of, I kind of, obviously I know what they stand for. And I sort of feel like I know what Five Finger Death Punch stand for. But I think there's, there's a there's a level of articulation in someone like Joe Strummer, who uh, Jason's great, but like, I was about to say who's a great figurehead. But I think Jason is a great figurehead, and I think Jason is someone who leads by example. I just think his music and the music of that band, and I looked at all of that, and I was just like, there is a message here, and there is an intention here. There is definitely an intent, but I'm not sure how much of it would, how much it is specific would actually get through to people mm. whereas i think idols i think you know exactly what idols are talking about mm. even if you think oh god it's really obvious and blah 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 mm. i think at least you know exactly what they're talking about well that's the thing the people who criticize idols yes it may be obvious to those people but it's not obvious to everyone there's a severe lack of empathy um there um I think um, I think you've actually summed up the difference between Fever Three 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 and Five Finger Death Punch when you said sort of whether whether the message is clear or not with Fever Three Three Three. It's clear what side they're on, at least. Mm. It ain't clear what you know with no. with five with <laughs> no, Five Finger Death true. Punch. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they're on anyone's side except for Five Finger Death Punch's side. I just I think they. Mm. You know, to be honest, to be political right now is zeitgeist. And Five Finger Death Punch went, oh, okay, that's cool right now. We'll just do that. 
yeah. and they knew full well that doing a video like that would get lots of column inches and lots of attention and that is the only reason they did it because they are money grabbing and that's all that they want um but in terms of like you know i mean i've heard lots of people say that zoltan is really um has you know got a very political head on his shoulders and so on and so forth and maybe he does um but I would say if you're going to make those statements, either make them like say something, don't just do a vague political kind of like, oh, here's a political thing, masks, woo, like that is pathetic. Just don't fucking bother. Um, I think Fever 333, at least it's clear where they stand. Is, is, is you know, I, I don't think there's an awful lot of depth to the message, but it's clear where they stand and yeah that's the abs- absolutely I, I i mean i would probably say the same thing about green day around the Mer- the american idiot era mm. you know i remember hearing american idiot and going okay well you don't like the war but that's a, pff, uh, we don't really know why and we don't really know what you think would be the solution do you know what i mean and i guess just going hey be nice it's not a bad message i mean i mean to be fair i don't know if it's musicians if it's up to musicians to come up with solutions uh, no that's that's true that's that's true but at the same time if you you know i guess i'm comparing them to someone like joe strummer yeah um or i'm going well look you know you can be like that i mean you can be like run the jewels yeah you know i mean i have run the jewels come up with any solutions as to what you should do with the world but no but they paint that picture of current society and 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 they 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 bullseye nail exactly what each song tells you exactly how they feel about a specific yeah. thing. It's far and more they famous. articulate it to a point that it is in, that it makes you go, well, yeah, oh God, I I don't want people to feel like this, or yeah. I don't want this sort of yeah. shit to happen. And with Fever Three Three Three, it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess we should bite back. Well, we're actually going to talk about a um, release later on in the show today, which is mm. enormously similar to the yeah. Fever 333 release. It actually came out the same week as well. Unfortunately, we didn't receive the promo for it, but um, I mean, we'll save that for later. But certainly, you know, spoiler alert, this release is far more, um, feels far more vital and far more... Uh, don't want to say worthy but you know well a a voice and an absolutely integral necessary voice that should be heard by everyone yeah yeah yeah, um and to be fair to ollie sykes he's been like that for a while (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that oh my god (laughs) anyway i think that is the thing that has upset me the most that you said (laughs) in the last half hour (laughs) Uh, but anyway fever 333 again um i find them like people will think that I'm shitting on them and I'm not shitting on them. I just think those three people are capable of doing like, if they want to do the thing they want to do and they have very um, worthy, noble ambitions mm. and because of what they've done before, I want to see them succeed in those ambitions and yeah. I'm not going to accept them doing this. Okay. Yeah. No. I think I. I think that's fair enough. I think that's. Yeah. yeah I can. I can understand mm. that. I'm curious yeah. to see the stream myself, but I. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from with that. That's fair enough. Yeah. And also stream. I mean. And again, you know, streams without audiences for bands like that, for bands like No Effects. Mm. If you're Behemoth, or if you're, you know, if you're, you know, Nick Cave, or whoever, or people who can, sort of translate without needing and 
an audience, mm-hmm. um, I think you've got a better chance than uh, than Fever 33, where you kind of need to be in that room and feel that kind of excitement from everyone, or Absolutely. from NerfX, so you need to feel that kind of communal, like, hey, punk rock's fun. Yeah. Um, and I think both the, the problem, although those are two completely different bands and completely different approaches to live streaming, they both kind of suffered from the same thing, which essentially yeah. is, I'm not really in there being part of this as much as I want to be. Yeah, you know? yeah I um, agree. I tell you, a band so, who I don't think um, would suffer from that in a live stream environment, Pussifer. Oh my God. True. Well done. Let's go on to some reviews and let's start uh, with the fourth full length album. Uh, They have done a bunch of other stuff, but this is their their fourth proper full length record. Yeah, in terms of full Um, lengths, yeah. From Maynard James Keenan's Pussifer. The album is called Existential Reckoning. Um, They're Maynard's, probably Maynard's weirdest band. I would say uh, this yeah. is a follow-up. Yeah, this is a follow-up to. Although they get less weird with every release, I think they get more like a kind of normal band with every release. Uh, well, I feel. I would say. I feel like they they're figuring themselves out more with mm. each release. I feel like Money Shot was a real kind of turning point with Pusifer. Um yeah. I think you know. I don't want to. I don't want to pull you up on this too much. I th- I think at this point. I think it's quite fair to say that yes, obviously it is Maynard's band, but the 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 nucleus of the band uh, revolves around Maynard James Keen, Karina Round, and Matt Mitchell at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, all of whom have been part of the project since the beginning, bar Karina Round, who joined on Conditions of My Parole, which is their second album. Um, but yeah, I I just just I feel like that it's quite vital to say that. Um, all three of those members are very integral to this band it's not it's very easy to paint it as another maynard project and it is but um i think those those other two musicians are as vital to what pusifer do uh as maynard is yeah um yeah i know you're you're right to pull me up on that uh 2015 the money shot came out Good God. Five years. Yeah. Has it really been that long? That feels mad to me that it's been that long. It doesn't seem like that album's that old, but... Here's a fun uh, thing. Here's, here we are. Here's a fun thing that I f- uh, I noticed. Um, uh, so this album is out today. As you, If you listen to this the day that um, this podcast comes out, October 30th, uh, it's actually exactly five years since Money Shot came out because it was released October yeah. 30th, 2015. Do you want to know another funny thing? Guess when, no. uh, guess when Veers of the Vagina... <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Guess when their debut album, Vias for Vagina, came out? Uh, the 30th of October? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Guess wow. when Conditions of My Parole came out? April the 9th. <laughs> Uh, I was I was really hoping you'd fall for that and say October thirtieth, but it was October the eighteenth, twenty eleven. But they bloody um, love October, though. Don't <laughs> they, they really like October. Um, mm. Am I reading too much into that? Probably. Uh, but I just thought that was quite interesting that three out of four of their albums came out October thirtieth. There's probably some. There's probably some conspiracy somewhere, which means if you play all three albums on the third hour of the thirtieth uh, in in the seventh Mate. day they create Fucking a new hell. album we got a lot to get through this sorry week, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i am not going to get drawn into <laughs> shit like that so um <laughs> i, I just saw it was them... interesting yeah no no that i, I didn't know that that is quite interesting um i saw them live twice 
on the Money Shop tour. The uh, the the, 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 the Hellfest, I saw them. Um, they were very good. But the first time I saw them, they played the Roundhouse. Did you go to this gig? I did. Yeah. I yeah. think this is one of the best gigs I've ever been to in my fucking life. I would it agree. was the most unique. Maybe the most unique gig I've been to since I saw Insane Clown Posse at the LA2 in 1997. It's certainly up there and it was certainly a massive, massive turning point for me and Pucifer. Um I bought Veers for Vagina not long after it came out and um, it's pretty safe to say I did not get it. Um, I dismissed it as a vanity project. Um, like a lot of people, frankly, like a lot of Tool and Perfect Circle fans, Maynard was singing in this really low register and didn't even really sound like Maynard. Um, and I just didn't really know what it was. And, and I'm very happy to throw my hands up now and go, I just did not get it. Uh, I go back to Fears of Vagina now. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I like it. I, I, I liked it straight in. I was like, really? this is great. Okay. Um, admittedly, I mean, I did something that I don't normally do with, um, I got the opportunity to interview Maynard James Keenan for Money Shot when I was at The Independent. And I very rarely interview people when I don't like the music. I was told that I was only allowed to talk about Pusifer. Um, I very rarely agree to do that when I don't like the music. But to be honest, I was like, it's Maynard fucking James Keenan. When am I going to get the opportunity to talk to him again? So I basically forced myself to uh, listen and re-listen to Veers for Vagina and Conditions of My Parole. I got sent a stream of Money Shot as well. And I think listening to Money Shot was a real turning point for me because I began to understand what this project was a lot more. But seeing that show at the Roundhouse was was a revelation for me and mm. and really really um made me go back to all three records money shot in particular but all three records and just go oh wow okay there's a lot more here than i realized um it might be i mean there's there's plenty of bands in the past where i've seen their live show and then finally got it but in terms of like the the scope between not getting it at all and getting it completely, it might be the largest sort of jump I've ever had with a band. It it was incredible. It was a really, really, really brilliant show. They brought a wrestling ring. Yeah. They had people actually wrestling in the middle of um you know, the 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 show while things were going on. They had little skits happening in between songs and stuff. And it was just, you know, brilliantly odd um stuff it, it's essentially a multimedia project in a way isn't it when you see it live um yes. you know there were loads of like videos um i remember uh you know all of maynard james keenan's projects you have this kind of like no photography rule and he was dressed up as a general on the video screen mm. saying you must not have photography on this thing um, I think the really key thing with Pucifer is it's a way for Maynard and the other members of the band to explore comedy. And comedy is mm. something that Maynard has always been very, very, very passionate about. I mean, Pucifer actually goes back um, to people assume that it's a band which is, you know, sort of maybe 15 years old. But it, they, Pucifer was actually formed in 1995 as a kind of comedy alter ego type thing um yeah. i don't know did you, did you ever watch that hbo show miss uh, um mr, mr. show, show. Mm. yeah yeah mm. so with david Ma cross yeah with david Brilliant. cross and yeah. uh what's his face from better call Saul? bob odenkirk bob odenkirk yeah um 
which is an absolutely bonkers HBO 90s show, uh, sort of skit, comedy skit show, um, mm. uh, which is very hit and miss, if I'm totally honest. When it hits, yeah. it's brilliant, but it's very hit and miss. But then so was Monty Python. Um, and um, yeah, Maynard actually um, guests on that a, a, a fair bit, doesn't he? Uh, he's, he does, in, he's, yeah. he's in he's in it quite a bit um so you know there's a long kind of history with this um in this particular on this particular album it's theme all of the for albums are themed um the first one was like uh airplanes the second one was based in a trailer park the third one was uh, that's this natural libra uh, wrestling hence why there was this wrestling <laughs> ring on the stage at the roundhouse um this one is a familiar topic for maynard um in its kind of alien conspiracies men in black kind of thing um he adopts the character called dick merkin uh this is the kind <laughs> of humor this is the level of the humor that we're um talking about it is quite juvenile a lot of yeah. it um i think often I sometimes think that he has this layer of juvenile humor to throw a lot of people off. Um, he's one of these people who seems to really enjoy just throwing people off the scent. Um, well, he was a big fan uh, and tall, obviously tall, immortalized Bill Hicks in the yeah. sleeve of Anima. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, Hicksisms. you know, when, when people talk about Bill Hicks and they go here, he was this kind of, this this truth telling soothsayer like yeah. poet like you know he was this socially conscious and then when he got that reputation he started doing goat boy and all that stuff yeah. to deliberately be sort of antagonistically non-pc i yeah. guess you would have said back then i probably wouldn't say that now because i'd sound like a twat <laughs> but um you know what i mean so yeah because yeah, i can i can see that that kind of i think you could i think one can see if you are familiar with the, the probably the references and the stuff that Maynard's into, exactly. why he would want to go down that alley. That's a lot of... Who were misses. Very appropriate for this record. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of preamble, but I do think it's important in terms of actually trying to understand what Pucifer is. Mm. Um, because... Uh, I, I, because it is beguiling and 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 i feel like once i got it i was so on board with it but the amount of time the amount of people i've played money shot to and they've just not really got it and i'm like you kind of need to see it live but then i'm aware i mean those two dates i think they did a date in manchester as well but i think they've only yeah. played three dates in the uk in total you know yeah. like it's not as if you even get a chance to see them live very often in this country at least anyway so it's a, it's it's a tough one and it feels very kind of um exclusive in a weird way but if 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 you get the opportunity wow it's yeah, incredible absolutely incredible just unlike anything you will ever see um so there you go that's pucifer broadly um moving on to the record and the review maynard still hates social media doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean you know uh he goes he's been going on about it i did listen to this and i was like are you still like, i did like, I, I, I like this record right yeah. i think this is good and there's a a, a a myriad of different reasons why i like it which we'll get into in a minute but i have to say on repeated listens, I I think the we're all being controlled, man, and use your own brain, man, and mm. don't social media is bad for you, man, and why are you? At, I think he needs to not 
sing about this anymore. There, I, I actually, there is a, yes, there is a feeling that, well, that and the whole alien conspiracy thing and mm. the other big theme on this record is basically Annihilation. Um, which are all three big things which he's been wanging on about. I mean, the social media thing is is actually the newest of those things, I would argue. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but he's been talking about but that But it stuff. feels like the most pronounced, though, I think, the social media thing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's like he really is, he's got a real fucking bee in his bonnet about it. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, he's he's kind of right and about a lot of it but i just think oh he is and i, th- I think if you if you go on social media and you read stuff about maynard james keenan then you know i'd probably wouldn't be very happy if that was what was being written about me either but um i, I, th- I think you, you, know. can, you can see his kind of disdain for it i mean his his reaction to um those bogus um accusations that came out um a few years ago just shows how little respect he has for social media or that as a platform and i completely i completely understand that i think i think in this day and age it's probably not a wise move to to react to those accusations in that way um mm. and i understand why people were pissed off about that but at the same time i i i understand why you what you know he's he's a man of i'm not going to say he's a man of simple pleasures but he he likes he's a man of the earth you know he really really enjoys um he's been talking about like how people should do a lot more farming in a lot of the reviews <laughs> of this record you know and stuff like that and and like be salt of the earth kind of people and he really in you know he so much of what maynard does um revolves around the harvest every year for his wine company um yes but certainly in terms of themes and like this is one of the first times that i've listened to a record with maynard gone on it and gone yes still singing about this stuff uh, it's a little bit like i've heard it all before um yeah it, yeah it, uh, pure, I, I, purely speaking on lyrical themes and mm. and and that's not to say that this stuff isn't still pertinent because it is unfortunately mm. it is still pertinent but hearing the same voice do it again and, and again and again uh it's a little bit it is a little bit trying from a sort of lyrical point of view mm. i would say i i i think i think so as well and it's weird because some of like we even as i say that i'm looking at it, and some of my favorite songs on the record are bits where he does get really kind of like bloody kids but um <laughs> but i was like mate come on like you well know, you ne- you used you used to be a bit more um kind of it didn't used to be so obvious what you were saying i think that's the thing is that there was like there it, it, there's bits on this where i'm like well i know exactly what you're talking about and what was the sort of beauty of tool was going oh that song's about fisting i had no idea for you, Do you know what I mean? uh, to, yeah to an extent i mean yeah you're referring to stink fist there uh or, or prison sex even and, and and i mean that's one way to look at it there's other way there's even more ways to look at the, the what those songs are about as well though you know about domination and so on and so mm. forth and not strictly in a sexual sense either um but i think if you take a song like uh uh apocalyptical uh, which is the first single. It's an obvious reference mm. to people putting their heads in the sand. Um, it's likely a reference to Trump voters, for example, as well as amongst other things as well, I would have thought. Um, and, you know, the 
Lyric is concrete conclusions, be damned. They won't believe you until it's far too late. Be damned, dumb, dumb, be doomed, damned. Go on, moron, ignore the evidence, skid into Armageddon, tango, apocalyptical. Um, Even the use of the word doomed is so reminiscent of uh, the song Doomed from uh, Perfect Perfect Circle, Eat the Elephant. And, And it sounds like such a silly thing to pick up on, but I couldn't help but notice it and it it kind of feels like uh, it's not that Maynard doesn't have anything to say these days he's got plenty to say it's just I don't know if he's got anything new to say yeah I mean the perfect circle thing I was going to come to in a bit because essentially I think I think Eat the Elephant is brilliant yeah same and I'm sure you do as well one of my favorite albums of that year yeah yeah it's fantastic um I still regularly listen to it as well yeah me too yeah it's brilliant um and I don't think, I think there's a lot of stuff on here which is as good as, you know, the majority of Eat the Elephant. I think there are there are parts on Eat the Elephant which are, you know, vastly superior to anything that's okay. on this record. You like it, but more, I, you like this record more than I do. Then, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, well, I, I think um, you know, there is so much musically, sonically, thematically, and sort of uh instrumentally that Mm. could they could be you could take songs out of each album and swap them around and it wouldn't really change the overall feel of those records Mm -hmm. this almost feels like a a kind of eat the elephant part two i think but a bit more electronic i think it's kind of i mean i've written down here this sounds like a, a gary newman album but with maynard's james keener on vocals um with some sort of nine inch nails guitar parts and peter hook on bass yeah it's not too far off there's certainly a larger emphasis on synthesized sounds for this album than there Mm. have been on previous records um karina rounds mentioned uh in a enemy interview i think it was uh hounds of love by kate bush as uh influence early peter gabriel records and the pet shop boys your beloved pet shop boys um And it, it works well alongside the album's theme. Um, they have done synthesized bits and pieces. I mean, actually, Pussifer have yeah. always, always had synthesized very, bits and Very, very much so, yeah. More, I, I, would say they, I would say that A Perfect Circles uh, introduced that on Eat, Eat the Elephant whilst Pussifer have always had it. Yeah, so yeah, So I think, yeah. actually, it's more likely that A Perfect Circle or Main or whoever's doing that is, has brought that into a perfect circle as opposed to Pussifer, you know, it just being a part, because I think it's sort of always been a part of Pussifer from the first song. Yeah. Listen to um, uh, the the first song on V is for Vagina. It's like Mm, pretty much electro drummed programmed stuff. It's, you know, it's very, very, Queen B, B, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think that this one is the most pronounced uh, kind of electronic Record. they all feel like the lead uh, i still think when you listen to eat the elephant uh billy Howardell is the sort of conductor of that band and because he's the guitarist i think that you could still base really call it a guitar album whereas this isn't really a guitar album so much no no this is an electronic album which has smatterings of guitar on it mm. um i i i, I kind of said belligerently there that you like this record more than i do i don't want to give the impression that i don't like this record um because i i do i like it but but that's about it i like it i don't love it um and i was i was quite looking 
forward to listening to it because this is the first piece of a record that's come out that um where i have actually properly been a fan of the band i would say you know um when money shot initially came out i didn't even bother listening to it i'll confess uh, and it wasn't until this opportunity to interview maynard came up and then i was sent sent the promo and i listened to it and i was like oh shit i totally missed out here because money shot is now a record that i return to constantly like all the time i absolutely love it it's definitely the best one i think yeah by 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 quite some distance as well in my opinion mm-hmm. um i'm uh, it's a really tricky one with this because i'm kind of reluctant to go um too far in one way or the other regarding your opinion which is very difficult because that is part basically my job um but one thing i will say we've not had the promo that long a little around about a week and i mean i don't want to you know be woe is me or anything like that but we it's so fucking busy right now i have not listened Mm. to this record anywhere near as much as i would have liked to um truthfully um because my opinion of pucifer records has changed so dramatically after long periods of time so i'm reluctant to be like oh it's not a very good album but it does but based on the five listens i've managed to give it maybe which i don't think is anywhere near enough for a record like this to be honest um it feels slow to start uh and in fact um in a conversation we had earlier this week you said to me that it gets really good towards the end which i would absolutely agree with you songs like mm. a singularity uh personal i mean i mean this this is a record that for me what i am prepared to say is the second half is way better than the first half i think yeah do you, you agree with that still uh definitely yeah, yeah. I, I i think that's that's true i mean to me like I think weirdly, considering the person involved in this album, I mean, the longest song on the record, Personal Prometheus, is where I was like, this is not a great song. And I think you mentioned Singularity, which is two minutes shorter, basically does a similar thing to it and does it to a far, far higher standard. Mm. And there is good stuff in the first half of this record. Oh, I definitely. Think the Underwhelming is, is really, really good. Yeah. That's got a proper Nine Inch Nails guitar part on it that I think is really good. Um the the kind of the the clanging guitar intro that goes into these piano chords in uh the song upgrade um yes i really i i really like as well i, really I thought that I, I thought that was wicked and um it's got a touch of remember when you're doing depeche mode and i brought up the song warm leatherette and i was like that was a really big influence on so much electronic music that came after it. Mm-hmm. it it that song sounds a bit like it reminds me in the kind of the starkness of it it reminds me a bit of warm leatherette and i was like oh yeah that's really cool because mm-hmm. they're really obviously dipping very very deeply back into that particular style which is something that i really like um but then you know like i say i think you get past personal prometheus which is long and really not not that great, to be honest. I was like, oh, seven minutes, 25, or what they're going to do in that. And they don't really do a lot. But then... Well, they, they don't do much more than they do on the songs, which are, yes, a, a, a few minutes shorter. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But that run of a singularity, postulus and fake affront... Yeah. I think, is, I think is fucking great. I mean, postulus is like an 80s banger. And... 
it's quite a zen record. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like it's fairly kind of quiet. A lot of it does exist. There's not huge dynamics. It's not a not a not a not dynamic record, but there's not huge dips in in the dynamics. I think there's not like massive gaps. Um, whereas something like Eat the Elephant, I think, is an incredibly diverse and dynamic record and then you get to fake a front uh, i'm just gonna pull you there's one thing i would say to that i would argue it is a dynamic record but it does it in a post-rock way <laughs> i right, okay. rather than switching from quiet to loud it does it in a very subtle it's gradually building kind of way i understand I mean, compared to some of the records that we talk about, it's not very dynamic. But I, I think it's, well, I think it's untrue to say it's not that dynamic. If that makes sense. Well, okay. Compared to Eat the Elephant, I don't think it's as dynamic. That's probably fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to keep comparing it to Eat the Elephant, and obviously, I'm not going to compare it to Fear Inoculum either. I know, obviously, you can't help but make those comparisons due to the the voice that leads everything but like i say it's quite a zen record until you yeah. get to fake a front which is the angriest song on the album the most kind of rock song i guess the most kind of obviously more rock rather than electro like you know we described this as a electro record with guitars or bits of guitars mm -hmm. as opposed to i think the perfect circle is a rock album with quite a lot of electronic elements in it as well yeah um but i think it's pretty much the best I mean, again it's like maynard going bloody kids again but i think it's the most instant sounding song on the record i mean the first listen through i was like this is brilliant it's got this a bastard brilliant heavy thick peter hook style bass on it um it's like nine inch nails meets new order meets a cocktail twins meets flock of seagulls with maynard singing over the top of it i think it's a brilliant song and that little trilogy of songs there is such a high point of the record it's, the, it's such a massive high point of the record um from the listens i've given it it's definitely the highlight of that yeah that that run is definitely the highlight um you're not including yeah. bedlamite as well i quite like the last track bedlamite i i do i i don't think it's as good as the three that came before it but i okay. do think it's it's certainly better than i mean you've got like it it kind of starts all right and then you get like the underwhelming and i think upgrade in the first half great Bullet Train to Iowa is like just dark and it's got a bit of that sort of spaghetti Western thing that they had on um, the money shot as well. It's I, all right. I like, but I like Bullet Train to Iowa. I like that one. Yeah. 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 And personal Prometheus isn't great, but then you get those three, I think is brilliant. And then Bedlamite closes the record rather well. And again, like those last, if you, if you, okay, if you want to call them a last four, really, really strong last four. Although if I was to pick the worst one of those four, I think Bedlamite personally yeah. would be my least favorite of those four, but it's still good. And it's still better than, uh, I would say probably half of the first half of this record. Um, this is a good, I think this album's pretty good. Uh, I would have liked a bit more, I guess, variety in um i mean it's the sort of thing that i would like like do you know what i mean it's another band who are recalling new order and depeche mode and public image limited and killing joke and talk talk and all that stuff is kind of cool right now and it bloody stranger things yeah um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um and a lot of bands are doing that sort of thing um is this the best version of that that i've heard this year probably not but I always love to hear Maynard and there are moments on this that, that are great. I think Pussifer are, you know, are significantly not quite as good as his other two bands. The other two bands that he's in happen to be absolutely 
staggeringly brilliant bands. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that, although I would add that I do think that Pussifer is 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 so much more than just the music that they create. And, yes, and I don't think that is um, an easy thing to understand until you see them live. Um, the thing is, is whilst I, I quite like this album, but I don't love it. Is that if they come over and tour this record, is that going to have any effect on me on whether I go and see them live or not? Absolutely not. In fact, if they released an absolute stinker, I would still go to see Pussy for Life because I'd want to see what they did with it live. And I also think slash know that it would make me appreciate the album so much more as well. But I mean, I, I something I found interesting is like, we we received the promo for this and there there are no um well we didn't receive them anyway we didn't receive any press notes whatsoever and i think that there's a kind of feeling of like well what's the point because this album you're not going to get this album alone without seeing the entire experience altogether so it's an interesting it's an odd project in that sense mm. um I would strongly recommend it. If you want to get an idea of what I'm talking about, um, Pusifer did release a uh, very limited edition DVD release, um, which I'm sure you can find on YouTube during the conditions of my parole uh, tour. And you can get an idea of what I'm talking about if you look that up on YouTube or whatever, if it's available on there. But it is the kind of thing, it is a very kind of esoteric, odd thing to wrap your head around unless you see them live which is irritating mm. because not many people have access to do that i mean at the moment no one does but um that is just how it is but the thing is is as you and i can attest if you do go and see them live it'll be one of the most memorable most interesting live experiences you'll ever have i'd like to see anyone live at the moment to be honest but, yeah, <laughs> there we go. um pretty good record it's pretty good existential yeah. reckoning by pussifer is out now uh talking of weird bands we've already sort of mentioned them a little bit let's move on to mr bungle uh their album is called the raging wrath of the easter bunny i was gonna say the new album is it a new album or is it an old album i don't really know i mean it's a re-recording of the 1986 demo tape of the same name um Mike Patton, Trace Bruins, and Trevor Dunn, the longtime Bungle uh, members, are joined by former Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo and Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian as part of their reformation. Um, when Mr. Bungle reformed, everybody was happy. Everybody with good taste, that is, was happy. Um, when they announced that they would be reforming solely to play the Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo in full, in its entirety, and nothing else, and they were going to re-record The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, a demo that came out, as I said, in 1986, and that most people had never, ever heard before. I think a lot of people felt somewhat short-changed, but um, uh, Mike Patton has called this the most bizarre reformation ever, and has said that if they were going to reform, it was going to take something really, really, really fucking weird, because... They're Mr. Bungle. Mm. Um, Just to speak on that um, uh, original demo uh, from 1986, it was released on cassette tape. Um, seems to be the only way that it has been released. Um, 
I sought it out um, because I wanted to listen to it and compare the songs from that uh, to this one, uh, because obviously you can pretty much find everything on the internet these days. It was recorded during the Easter of 1986, hence the title, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. Um, It's a kind of fast, lo-fi, death-slash-thrash metal record uh, with touches of Scar, like quite a lot more Scar on the original uh, than Mm. is on this version. Um, It sounds fucking awful um <laughs> it really doesn't it god it's crap yeah it sounds terrible it, it, it sounds i mean it is fucking hard to listen to to be totally honest um it was written and recorded when the band were teenagers in the garage of their then drummer jed watts uh it was recorded in his garage on a tascam four track with just one microphone in the middle of the room um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and it sounds like it, frankly. Yeah. It, it it was so patchy. If the band made any mistakes, they'd overdub Mike Patton screaming over the top to cover it up rather than re-record it. So the end of the song, Raping Your Mind, on the original is one such example where there's just this scream that he does at the end, which is primarily there just to cover up a mistake. Um uh, it was sold for $4 at shows. Um, there aren't very many av- available. The original demo is eight tracks long and 35 minutes and 45 seconds. This new version is 11 tracks and 56 minutes and 28 seconds. Three new tracks are the previously unreleased Mathematics, Glutton for Punishment, and a cover of Corrosion of Conformity's Loss for Words. Um, they also took a song, uh, Evil Satan, has been taken off the track list, probably for the mm-hmm. best, to be honest, because even by Bungle's standards, Evil Satan is avant-garde as fuck, um, but not strictly in a great way. And it's been re- <laughs> replaced with a racist, which is a much better swap. Yes, um, I think so. Um, so, so essentially w- what we have here, and let's just, you know, are a bunch of old thrash metal songs re-recorded in 2020. Um that's one way uh, of looking at it yeah yeah <laughs> they haven't really they haven't really um uh hugely i don't think they haven't hugely changed anything other than this just sounds like it's been recorded by professional musicians um, for the most part they've they've very purposefully chosen barely to change anything at all but um bar obviously taking uh the scar e- e- bits are gone the scar bits are gone yeah taking evil satan off and replacing mm. it with a racist and hypocrites um the original version of hypocrites went into this kind of weird scar punk bit uh and instead they crowbar a cover of um sod's speak english or die in instead but uh Patton insists that we speak spanish or die or uh hablo espanol o mer um of course, there's loads of there's loads of Easter <laughs> so eggs. Good. Oh, it's brilliant! Yeah. yeah, there's loads of Easter eggs on this record for Bungle fans, which might be on purpose. I mean, it is called the Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo because, of course, SOD are Scott Ian's other band, and Scott yep. Ian, of course, is playing on this album. So, I imagine there's probably lots and lots and lots of stuff to find on this record. Um, for example, Mathematics features a riff that would later be recycled on Love Is a Fist, which is the penultimate song from uh, Mr. Bungle's self-titled Warner Brothers debut. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on if you're a fan. Yes. But to be honest, if you're not, um, and you like thrash metal, mm. and you're looking for a, a thrash metal record that's coming out at the moment, weirdly, against all the odds, um, this is 
probably the best thrash metal album of the year um of the year yeah probably quite comfortably um <laughs> yeah it really um, is it, uh, i mean thrash metal is a rec is a record is a genre that i have not not that i've been disparaging towards in the past at all but i've always kind of felt like the big four gave me all that i ever really needed from thrash like every, mm. every everything that that genre can do is encapsulated in what the big four can do i mean even more so if you replace anthrax with testament sorry scott ian um and whilst there's nothing wrong specifically with genres recycling the same thing over and over again you can't do much more with thrash metal beyond what the back catalogues of metallica slayer megadeth and anthrax did slash testament um <laughs> and creator um uh, anyway yeah really um and mr bungle uh have just by managing to bungle stuff up a little bit and i mean that bungle is it not bungle as in cock it up i mean bungle Fuck as, it up, in, yeah. as in bungle it up um have put an ever so slightly different spin on thrash metal i mean that of the aforementioned hypocrites when they go into like it's very difficult not to be swept up by that kind of thing and as a consequence it is one of my favorite parts of this album but by far my favorite parts of this record are when it sounds like bungle mangling thrash into their own thing um i mean mathematics for example which was a song it's the longest song on the record it's almost nine minutes long isn't it mathematics it was yeah. unreleased at the time and i kind of feel like there's so much going on on mathematics that maybe they didn't get around to recording it because it was probably it may, might have even been beyond them at the time because it certainly sounds like one of the most proficient songs in mm. that sense. It's my favourite song on the record. It may well be mine, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think a racist as well has a far more. Um, it, it's far more like the bungle that we would be familiar with from their self-titled album mm. uh, than anything else. Uh, on on this record it does have very you know like heavy metal guitars on it and it does fit in with the album but it feels like a bit of a break from the you know thrashing medley all around kind of thing that is happening on this record um i yeah is this the best thrash metal record of the year yeah probably i mean for me it might be the best thrash metal record i've heard since endgame but which yeah. is which is 11 years old yeah i mean it, i i you know i don't know if this has the energy i mean so much of whether this shit succeeds or fails is down to energy i think mm. and i don't know if it's because these songs were written at a time when they were young and so they have they just exude that kind of youthful exuberance around them or because of the caliber of the people involved um but I think it's a, it's a glorious reminder of how fucking great thrash can be. Um, what you've got, I mean, it would we speak about Patton, Dunn, Spruance. Like we know how great musicians those three are, um, and it would be easy to go on and on about those guys. But I don't. I think you know the presence of Scott Ian, 
like that opening rift on Bungle Grind. Oh, Amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. who has, who, like, say what you want about modern Anthrax, but Scott Ian has a unique and instantly recognizable guitar tone. Totally. That put through the kind of filter of Mr. Bungle, it still sounds like Scott Ian, but it doesn't sound like modern Anthrax, yeah. which is a pretty big compliment to pay it. Mm-hmm. And Dave Lombardo, who who is perfect to be him, that manic drum style mm. that he has is is the perfect compliment to Mr. Bungle. Over the top of that, you've got Mike Patton, mm. who is pretty much the greatest vocalist of all time mm. um, and is not going to be content with just doing typical thrash he's not going to do that so hearing Patton scream and squeal on raping your mind which is probably the first time that he gets into that proper like that pattern that those patternisms is fucking great i mean and it just gives it like so much more i mean you get like i said i mentioned bungle grind again it's mental it's six minutes long there's some mad shit going on. Mm. I mean, again, I think Trace Bruins on guitar putting all the kind of weird, widdly, <laughs> angular bungle bits over the the meaty meat and potatoes chug and stomp of a Scott Ian riff just makes this shit sound far more interesting. Um, there's a bit, like, you know, like, like I say, bungle grind. They've got all this mad shit going on. Patton's giving it the full stabbed in the balls screaming thing. <laughs> and then there's a whistle going off at some point. Can you, do you yeah, hear the whistle? Yeah, yeah, Someone's yeah. just blowing a peep, a whistle yeah. for no reason. It's just a fucking whistle. You're like, okay, well, what other thrash band would just go, let's blow a whistle in the background. I think, <laughs> like, I think, I think that's the thing though. Um, even do it like, to be honest with you, in terms of creativity, thrash is not a particularly creative genre is it and the fact that even blowing a whistle when put against this music that sounds like quite a revelatory thing to do i think this record almost shows up thrash in a way Mm. um Mm. i think the strengths of this record record are um also its weaknesses um they have very and i I think it's a a very interesting choice but despite the fact i read a brilliant quietus interview with um spruance and dunn and whilst they've they've purposefully chosen even though they were tempted to go back and change some of the bits because you know they're they're older and wiser and probably much better musicians now than they were in 1986 they bar hypocrites they haven't actually changed the songs themselves for and and they said for better or worse and i think that manic energy that you were talking about with them being written as teenagers um there's quite a lot of moments and songs on this record where you kind of go if you were sitting down and analyzing this as we sometimes do with music it wouldn't be like a good way it's not great song craft but they kind of get by on youthful exuberance the youthful exuber Mm. you know that kind of youthful exuberance of almost like not knowing the rules um you you don't even realize you're breaking them and that there is a kind of youthful exuberance that you do lose uh, a, a, a sort of innocence like that, a creative innocence that you lose the more that you do things. And this record is full of that, but there's also, and, and it is 
the best thing about it and the worst thing about it in a in a weird way uh, it's mm. very paradoxical from that point of view um and i would have been curious to it would have been interesting to know what they would have done if um you know they tried to update these songs rather than just give them relatively straight re-recordings i think it's awesome that people finally get to hear this material because let's face it even having listened to the demo even the most ardent mr bungle fan isn't going to stick with that demo too much in 2020 or even probably even in 1990 it probably sounded like fucking (laughs) shit i mean it, it really is quite horror i'm purely talking about the sound of the record now not not the um like the production of the record there is no production on the record um so it's great to be able to hear these songs like as intended um and you know to give them credit i mean bungle had been a band for what a year two years when they wrote this material something like that i mean 85 yes for one year i I mean it's stunning really what that they put these songs together after just a year together um but yeah it's it's a it's a, it's an interesting move. I mean, it's it's so bungle. It's so bungle to reform and then and they yeah, they very defiantly said that they're not going to release release any new material and this is all you're getting and tough shit kind of thing. And like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I admire that hugely. But is it the absolute best decision they could have made? I don't know. We'll we'll never know really. But yeah. Well, I mean, there isn't much I change about this record other than it's a bit long. Obviously, um, um, uh, it's probably you, a little bit long. A, a little bit. It's 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 too long. It's way yeah. too much. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, we all know that Mr. Bungle are capable of a lot more than this stylistically yeah. these days. I mean, Mike Patton said they want, as you mentioned, they want to pay homage to their that particular part of their yeah. genetic makeup. Yeah. And that's, that's fine and honour those songs, which is fair enough. I mean, me personally, I still would really like to hear a new bunch of bungle songs in the more eccentric style that we became used to during the nineties. But what's next? Who fucking knows? I mean, I actually asked Mike Patton this and he says they've got absolutely no idea what they're going to do next. No idea. So it, it might be nothing. Um, they're not going to do bowl of chili though. I can tell you that much. He said that they're definitely not going to be doing that. Oh really? Um, okay. <laughs> which I'm not surprised about at all. Cause that might, be even worse than the raging wrath of the easter bunny um the the original demo have you ever heard that yes i have yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's not great it's no, not great not at great. all um and but you know i mean yeah you i think I, I think this is i mean all that stuff you said about the kind of paradoxical nature of it is is interesting but i just look at it and go you you've got someone there who for all the people talk about thrash metal being, oh, it's just, it's so blunt and it's so direct and it's... How many of these thrash bands now, they forget to write, I think it's in metal in general, people forgetting to write choruses, people forgetting to yeah. write hooks and oh, stuff. totally Hook, agree. Hooky, like, you know, when you the reason the big four are the big four is because you can sing a chorus, even, like, take Metallica out of it, obviously Metallica have so many big, huge songs, but Megadeth, Anthrax, even Slayer, even slayer have got really really catchy recognizable parts and you put something like a racist you know it's that's been out a while you probably already heard that one it's fucking excellent yeah it's just so so catchy and it's got a big old widdly slayer solo towards the end it's fucking excellent it's just like you know that's you stick someone like mike Patton over this music and suddenly it sounds 10 times more exciting i think and it's just um you know, I wouldn't say he carries this record because I think 
everybody does a bloody bloody good job uh on this release but i think mike Patton is always going to be the special source well he's certainly the thing that makes it interesting i mean if you had a another thrash um singer on this album rather than mike Patton, the bloke from gamma bomb yeah it would it would it would be another one of these thrash metal records just like records by havoc just like records by power trip just like records by municipal waste where where i'd just be like well you know great but what's new you know Mm. um it's 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 a really it's a really interesting it's an interesting project and as as per bungle have done the weirdest thing imaginable that they could have done come back in 20 years after 20 years and released a record that technically is already out but no not many people have actually heard uh and then refuse staunchly to play any of the old material (laughs) and that you know that is that is typical bung like people shouldn't really be surprised or upset because that just feels like a typical mr bungle move i mean you know and, and i'm i'm from that point of view i'm glad they've done it this way because i think doing it any other way would feel like they were um selling what mr bungle was short yeah true um all right there you go mr bungle the raging wrath of the easter bunny demo is out is out now uh let's move on to i know you've been looking forward to this uh bring me the horizon post-human survival horror another new ep from the sheffield pop megastars yeah you heard me pop i said it um uh we feel like we review bring me the horizon quite a bit on this podcast we bring up ammo which uh we reviewed at the start of last year um uh we bring it up all the time as an example of the problems with some of the more modern albums these days uh, and their spotify playlist-esque nature um we also reviewed their last ep which came out on boxing day uh which ruined christmas for both of us <laughs> the one with the silly long name um so you know Although I think there's stuff on ammo that's really good and there's stuff on ammo that's not very good, as I've said a whole bunch of times, we've not really been that nice about Bring Me The Rise on this show, uh, apart from me putting Semper Eternal in my top 20 albums of the decade towards the end of last year. Um, so here we have another another go at Bring Me The Horizon. A new EP, which um, in a very Bring Me The Horizon kind of way... Uh, is full of guest vocals um guest vocalists and guest spots which they have been leaning pretty heavily on over the last sort of couple of years um and despite also uh, a promise of a return to more rock-based heavier roots is what the sort of you know the the, the excitement the word around the campfire was in the build-up to this record um Renfrey, hello. Uh, was it worth people getting excited about the idea of Bring Me the Horizon going back to rock, rock and roll, um, guitars? It depends, I suppose. Um, a lot of people are citing this as a return to the heavier style of Bring Me, and therefore a return to form. 
I think the former is correct up to a point. Uh, it is certainly, there's guitars again, and they're heavy and they're distorted. Um, certainly the main crux of these songs is heavy guitars, which hasn't been the case. Uh, we, I don't think we've had an album where the main basis of the songs has been heavy guitars, probably since then Paternal. That's probably fair to say, isn't it? Do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Although I don't think you could honestly hand on heart say that it's a return to the sound of Suicide Season or There Is A Hell or even Sempaternal. Well, Sempaternal is probably the closest. That I, was these songs... say, I think this is this is certainly the closest thing to Sempaternal that they have done since Sempaternal, yeah. surely. Yeah, yeah, probably. But it still feels quite, it still feels relatively different, I think. Uh, which, mm. isn't, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. We talk about bands changing... Um, styles and trying new things and experimenting and so on and so forth i mean before i go in on all the horrible shit that i have to say about bring the horizon i will say that i think what i'm really admiring about bring me the horizon these days is when they release something new we have got to the point with them now where i do not have a fucking clue what we're gonna hear I think and and I have to I have to hold my hands up and go fair play like fair enough I you know we we are now at a point where I just I haven't got a clue what the next thing like after they do this who knows what the next thing is going to be maybe it's going to be a fucking I mean it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that they do like just a noise rock record or something like that next or some sort of Hip-hop I'd rather out. they didn't. Well, I'd rather. I, mean, I think the the idea that I mean, because for that last EP, I mean, on paper, the idea that Jordan Fish, comfortably the most talented person in the band, would get the chance to do a proper sort of dance album. You go on paper, you go, oh yeah, that might be quite good. Obviously, the result was horrific. Well, that, that that's <laughs> the thing. Bring Me the Horizon are living embodiments of the um, term. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. But, um, but I would, you know, I think. It would, it's only fair to say that there are plenty of bands who move on and do different things all the time. Devon Townsend, for example, or whatever, who we really respect on this podcast. And I think it would be um, shitty of me to not at least acknowledge that and say fair play, bring me the horizon for that. Because I really, at this point, I really do not have a clue what they will do next. Um, I think the big... A big, big difference uh, between this stuff and Suicide Season or There Is A Hell is Ollie Sykes was screaming over that material, whereas on this material, they've got a computer to sing over it. Um, oh, sorry. No, it's Ollie Sykes uh, through autotune for the most of it. Um, the latter point, the latter point of it being a return to form seems to be a bit basic bitch to me. Um, just from the point of view of, you know, that overreaction that people have when when a band return to a certain style that they're known mm-hmm. for, um, mm-hmm. people, the immediate thing that people go is, oh, it's a return to form. And that's not actually what they mean, because return to form means it's a return to the band being of the quality that they used to be at. And I don't think that's the case yeah. with this at all. It's just a return to the style that they adopted but even that i mean even then it's not really exactly the same is it 
Well, I mean, you've kind of said Bring Me Horizon changed quite a lot. And the thing about Bring Me the Horizon and what we've always said about them is they are zeitgeisty. So they aren't yes. going to ever sound like Sempaterno again because Sempaterno was 2013. Exactly. It was seven years ago. Yeah. That was what music sounded like seven years ago. And Sempaterno has been, you know, as we've discussed, like unbelievable. Like the amount of people and the amount of bands, the amount of terrible metalcore bands, the amount of sort of warped or metalcore bands that... In, in immediately change their sound to try and sound like Sempaternal. And so why the fuck would Bring Me The Horizon go back and try and sound like a bad version of, you know, or what can only now be a, a kind of dated bad version of something that they've already perfected? Like, they're not going to do that. Yeah. Like I, I And I, I don't think they should, and I don't think they, they have. Um, I mean, the opening track... To, to, to give them their, their kind of credit as to why people are going, oh, you know, people do get excited about the idea of just guitars coming back. Dear Diary is built on a big thrash riff and has got a proper Kerry King style widdly guitar solo yeah. in it. It sounds, it sounds like um, Slayer if they were replaced with four computers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, but it's like the old, you know, there is a hell suicide season era bring me. I think it's of the same level of, uh, extremity of that i don't think yeah. it really sounds like either of those it's i don't think it's, it's good it's kind of a modernized version of it it's got that kind of crunkled up crisp packet like rather than having a sort of guitar tone you just crunk you've got that kind of crisp packet being mm. crunkled up sound that's the tonality of it which i you know it's less than three minutes it's pretty catchy I actually think it's quite good. I quite like it. God is a shithead, apparently. I mean, that's one of the lyrics. Don't think God's going to be that happy with that. Um, Ollie Sykes bringing, then, bringing out the uh, lyrical barbs there once again. Yeah, what always. A, a, um, one of the worst lyricists um, of all time, probably. I, I, I don't know because I think he's His got... Liam Gallagher like, levels of dreadful. I Okay, I think he has been pretty bad recently. Um uh you know the like some people are just like stars because they'd something they're they're there and then they're gone or whatever the fucking lyric is and that you need a taste of your own medicine that one um bad bad lyrics even but go actually, to hell for heaven's sake is fucking atrocious that that's, yeah, that's but, a dumb person thinking they've come up with a really smart line yeah but that is is it's almost so stupid that it's that it's fine do you know, I actually think nothing's that the so thing, stupid that it's fine. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> I think that is like big, dumb, like. I think that's I think that's all right. I think go to hell for heaven's sake. You go, oh, I see what you've done there. And, you know, it's I, I mean, is he he's no words worth, obviously. But I think there's there's bits in I mean, particularly in, in Sempaternal where I'm like, these are really catchy little epithets that people will remember you've just remembered one there you've remembered it because you think it's fucking awful mm. but they do they do he he knows how to write a an angst ridden that kind of that kind of mixture between like i guess what he thinks is poetry mixed with like you know northern street chav mm. like raging speed on meets wordsworth mm. but wordsworth after he's had a sort of brain operation yeah um, quite well i think all i'd say I, to, I, I don't all i'd say to that is just because something as we've discussed in the show before just because something's catchy doesn't make it good no it doesn't but at the same time i think you know it's it's become a recognizable ollie sykes style 
in the same way as you know Noel Gallagher what, rhyming being every, shit. everything was shine. Yes, it has. <laughs> well, maybe. It has. Yeah, yes, maybe. Um, being the second track and soulless and utterly devoid of any meaning or anything whatsoever. I yes, mean, it's it it's hard to to get any kind of meaning from it, really. But yes. those 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 things leap out at you. Like we've talked about sloganeering quite a lot over yeah. the last few weeks, and I think that's another example of that. He does he does stick those things in your head and you don't forget them. Um, and that's what pop music often does. I think the second track, Parasite Eve, it sounds a lot like Ghost Main, lots of blips and bleeps and trap beats. And then it goes kind of industrial metal, massive chorus. I don't feel too much anger towards that. It's a big riff. Again, it's just very zeitgeisty. Like, you know, it's a very, it's a sort of heavy, where, where kind of modern heaviness meets the zeitgeist like proper mainstream zeitgeist. And I guess somebody has got to do that. The, you, this, you, you keep mentioning this word zeitgeist, which you're absolutely right. Um, mm. And it is absolutely 100% the, 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 the fact that Bring Me the Horizon keep chasing the zeitgeist is exactly what prevents them from being a truly brilliant band and it's yeah. what prevents them from being a band who will ever sound classic or timeless um i think the thing that really irks me about bring me and it's taken me a little while to figure this out um but they lack soul they have no fucking soul whatsoever um i have compared you know i've i've said you know facetiously although i don't think it's that facetious that uh i've been talking about computers and how dear diary sounds like you know if the members of slayer were replaced with four computers that were programmed to sound like slayer there is no sense we talk a lot about like analog uh, analog recordings and digital recordings and bands sounding like they're playing all together in a room and all this kind of thing now, Bring Me have never tried to hide that. And I don't think, certainly in the latter part of their career, they've never tried to, they've always tried. They think their songs always feel pieced together on a computer. And there's absolutely no, um, there's, there's no kind of thought even put into making them sound like people playing music together in a room. And, you know, that's how a lot of albums are made these days. But at least some people actually, periphery, do it like that as well. But it, I think they sound far more vital and far more soulful. And there's, there's something, I'm, I'm not, I don't think periphery are the most soulful band in the world, but they sound more vital in the way that they record stuff than Bring Me the Horizon do. Um, mm. It just sounds so, and and it really fucking irks me about them that they are constantly chasing the the zeitgeist. Um, to give them credit, they've gone out there and they've become a massive band, but I don't think they're very good at being a massive band. To be totally honest, um, I don't believe. I mean, you mentioned that as as per with Bring Me the Horizon releases these days, there are a plethora of guests on this record. Um, I've talked about in the past how the only reason why Bring Me The Horizon bring guests onto their records is to get more traction on Spotify because they are very smart, savvy businessmen. But what I 
dislike about Bring Me the Horizon, every time I hear new Bring Me the Horizon music, is I'm hearing music made by committee and music that is not written with the 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 purpose of what is the best thing that we can do to make this the best song it's how can we get this song out there to as many people as possible so that we can play to as many people as possible bringing young blood onto your album on the song obey um i don't think that they i don't believe they brought him on to do that to make the song any the song any better than it is i i is he even on it like i don't even know what well, you said we were saying i i was saying the other week like i don't think i've ever heard young blood before i still don't feel like i've heard no. young blood because i don't know where he is on that I, I don't know where he is on it either but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter does it because because he's on the spotify uh he's credited on it as on spotify and young blood fans will um you know, it will be sent to Youngblood fans as well. And that's some crossover there. And Youngblood gets 8,788,983 monthly listens on Spotify a month. Uh, Bring Me the Horizon, incidentally, get 5,863,219. So it's all about cross-pollinating audiences. It's nothing to do with actual creative choices. It's all business-like, cynical, cold marketing. And I cannot help... When I listen to Bring Me, all I hear is the marketing and I don't hear any soul. I don't hear any human. Did, did, did you feel like that about Sempaternal? Or I There think, Is A Hell? I think Sempaternal is their best record by a mile. I think There Is A Hell has some really good bits on it. But um, I think they've really adopted that cynical, cold marketing thing far more so these days. I think there were elements of it there then. I just think they're they're better better businessmen now than they were then. I still I still think that. I mean, I certainly don't think um, Semper, I don't think of Sempaternal as highly or strongly as you do. Certainly, and there mm. are people who you know say, "Oh, Sempaternal is this generation's white pony," and if that's the case, I feel very sorry for this generation because you have to remember that Sempaternal was released at a point where rock music was in dire straits really mm. um certainly creatively yeah it really and, was, I, and yeah. I think i think it's been put on this pedestal because there wasn't a lot else around at the time really um i think if you go back to it now there are you know there's some brilliant moments on sempaternal um the, the snakes start to sing is i think mm. one of the best songs they've ever done can you feel my Shadow heart Moses is a great incredible i think there's, there's some really the, there's loads of good stuff on it there's as much bad stuff on it though and i th- i think that kind of human connection thing they have always struggled with bring me the horizon never move me emotionally ever ever mm. They never do because I don't think they're capable of it because their music is so cold and it's so calculated and it's so cynical and it's so businesslike. And I think that so, is tragic. Here's the thing. I think, I mean, I feel, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about them having the guests on there. We were mentioning about them. That's how we brought up Youngblood that time. Um, I think probably like a lot of people I've felt less and less connected to bring me the horizon as a rock and metal fan um, over the last few years, because they just don't really feel like they're part of, they don't really feel like they're part of what we usually talk about on the show. I mean, but at this point covering bring me the horizon 
feels a bit like it did when we covered Taylor Swift, where we were like, oh, we're sort of covering this thing because it sort of is to do with it, but it sort of isn't as well. And I'm, I'm kind of beginning to feel like that about Bring Me the Horizon. Um, I hope the difference you, being is, I, I is hope that... You, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but behind the scenes, you were wondering if we should even bother covering this. Yeah, I, I was, to be honest. I was like, I don't really know if we should do it or not, because I do think, um, you know, I'm just... I, I'm, I'm not as... In 2013, to me, Bring Me the Horizon felt really vital and essential to the progression of rock music. Had I have known then what I know now, I maybe wouldn't have got as excited about Sempaternal as I as I did. But at the time, as you say, there wasn't really a lot happening. I think The Black is Beautiful came out quite soon afterwards. And I was like, those two albums sort of represent like, one, the the sort of creative high point of what was going on at that point and the other represented a a kind of blueprint and a pathway to bringing rock music back into mainstream public consciousness because i saw bring me their eyes and i was like we know there's touches of lincoln park here but it still feels modern it feels very um and yeah i mean even i'm going to use the word calculated and, and not even particularly as an as an insult really because i, I felt like it was it was it was put together in as you, you know in a, in an expertly you know it's a lusciously big sounding record yeah, yeah and and big pop albums and crossover albums need to sound like that and I compared it I mean White Pony I've never heard that comparison before the Black album was what I often compared it to because I was like here's a bunch of young kids who used to be really really fucking heavy and people were like what the fuck's this and now they've made this massive and then you know when that's the spirit came out that's when other people started going hey it's their Black album and I was like I think they've made their Black album Mm. I think that's the spirit is their load and we're getting to like St. Anger territory at this point do you know what I mean (laughs) it's not even really St. Anger it's more like you know avril lavigne covering fuel mm. um well that and- it's, it's really interesting you mentioned black is beautiful actually because black is beautiful um yes I, I totally understand what you're saying but i actually see those records on totally opposite ends of the spectrum in a weird way because black is beautiful is an album that's full of soul it's full of heart yeah, it's of full it of is. connection it's really emotional yeah and when i listen to it i feel things i've kind of begun to realize that my biggest problem with Bring Me the Horizon is when I listen to them, I don't feel anything. And that includes Sempaternal. And it includes There Is A Hell. I'm often, there's often very impressive things on them. I mean, Crucify Me from There Is A Hell is a very impressive song, the way that it's mm. put together and the, the you know, and, and there are many elements of Bring Me that I really, really like. But I always think of it from a technical perspective. It kind of, it, it, it moves moves the head rather than the heart i mean that's a weird expression because you don't move the head but do you know what i mean it 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 affects me in my head intellectually sort of intellectually and a kind of like oh that is really well put together but i never get moved emotionally by bring me in fact i'm always left incredibly cold by them well my i would say that i mean the comparison of black is beautiful is that yes i think the black black is beautiful is a scrappy heartfelt analog sounding record what i liked about sempaternal what i love about sempaternal is the fact that it felt so massive and it is hard to connect with something that feels so massive but i think massive things are important sometimes i think to 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 have a sense of this kind of grand the the, the grandeur the grandiosity of bring me the horizon it might not be something that you can um that you and, and you know like 
Ollie Sykes is not somebody that I empathise with in the same way as I empathise with Jason Butler. Mm. So I get what you're saying, but I just thought Semper Eternal, it's so, so massive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there yeah, was yeah. so much going on. And I was like, this feels like we can fucking bang, like an album that could bang the door down. And to be fair, it didn't quite bang it all the way down, but Bring the Horizon were big at that point. Oh yeah. What we have, what we have here is the door is now banged down. And rather than them kind of storming the castle and going, you know, slitting throats and going rock music's back, they've gone, hey, we're in. Oh, can I dress like you? Do you know what I mean? That's sort of <laughs> like, now I'm here, I'm going to... Yeah, because yeah, oh, it's cold sorry, and it... calculated and nowadays yeah. they just want to... Like, I feel like every single thing they it's do... It's like, oh, sorry, there's a dress code here. Oh, shit, yeah. I'll take my jeans off yeah. and I'll put my jeans... Oh, I'll cover up oh, my tattoos. I need, a, co- I need yeah. a collared shirt. Okay, fine. And, you know... I feel like everything I, everything they do is, is designed to um, create hype um so you know this was a good like oh shit like last time we'll put a song on our record which is 25 minutes long even though it's or however fucking long that stupid song was totes Mm. fucking rubbish i mean basically they created a two minute loop and looped it for fucking 25 minutes but that becomes a talking point and it becomes something that people could go oh my god bring me the horizon have a 25 minute song on their record you know this this album's ep whatever the fuck it is i mean it's just just a load of ideas thrown at a wall and seeing what sticks really isn't it this talking point is oh they're back to their original sound which isn't strictly true anyway but it's just something to no. for people to hold on to it's almost as if they they come up with the story for the record before they come up with the actual fucking songs and to be honest with you there are I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't anything of worth on this collection of songs because there's a fair few moments that got my head going or my toe tapping when I can ignore Ollie Sykes and his dreadful lyrics and dreadful delivery. Um, There's a lot of fantastic, like fantastically inventive and interesting stuff on this record. I just find it really difficult when I listen to Bring Me to turn off the cynical voice in my head that says, well, this is being done for a reaction and it's not, it's not a reaction that is creatively fulfilling. It's a marketing reason that this is being done. And there's nothing wrong with using computers and electronic technology in music. Trent Reznor has been doing it for years with great success. But Bring Me don't use computers and technology. They rely on it. And that's an important distinction. Yeah, I mean, I have quite. A, I was going to start this by saying, "Hey, there's quite a lot of things that are that are good about this," and I feel like we've gone straight into <laughs> all the all the bad stuff because I do actually think that this is all right. I think this is all it's right. Okay. I don't need the it's techno okay. interlude. I think the song with Young Blood on. I literally, as I said, don't know where Young Blood comes in. Nope. I like the riff on that, and I think they're good at writing those songs. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of this particular. It goes a little bit too close to the that's the spirit. Um, bits of Bring Me the Horizon and there's a lot of modern stuff in there which you know when Ollie does come in and do a massive brutal vocal bit and a big riff comes in you go oh yeah I used to like him when they sounded like that and something like Kingslayer right so here's my big takeaway from from this and so I, I'm not going to listen to this EP ever again I don't exactly. think uh, I'm not going to do that because I have now got to the point where I just don't really know who 
I felt like on Semper Eternal, you got that album, you go, this is a big, massive moment. Yeah, I know what these guys are and sort of what they stand for, where they've come from and who they are. I don't really feel like I know who Bring Me The Horizon are anymore. And we spoke, we've just spoken about Mr. Bungle. I don't know. I don't know what Mr. Bungle are, but I know who Mr. Bungle are. Mm. I think Mr. Bungle understand themselves. I, I, I think there are parts on this where it's not, I mean, it's absolutely not true to say that Bring Me The Horizon don't have their own um, sort of distinct voice because they can't because you know so many people have ripped off sempaternal and you know that new architect song came out last week and a load of people just went oh yeah yeah, bring bring me it's bring me the horizon so bring me the horizon do have a kind of recognizable core sound but at the same time if you listen to something like song kingslayer that is not bring me the horizon featuring baby metal that is baby baby metal featuring baby metal with ollie sykes screaming over the end at the end of it um that has been written as a baby metal song. Yeah. It's not a Bring Me The Horizon song. It's a baby metal song. Yeah. And, you know, there's bits like... I well, mean, which which also, sorry to interject, but but which also is just, is, is another kind of uh, way for them to get press mm. columns and, and inches, you know, because they, they know full well that baby metal are a very divisive band and they want to be divisive and seem to be edgy and cool and zeitgeisty. There it is again. And so, oh, let's get baby metal on our album. How do we do that? Oh, well, let's just write a baby metal song. Yeah. And there's a song like, I, I really like the opening of the song Ludens. And then Ollie came in and then a load of more stuff came in. I started going, oh, actually, this is a bit rubbish. And then it sort of went quiet and then it sort of went heavy. And then it went into that bloody take that song that everybody rips off that there'll be trouble when the kids come. I, I cannot believe how many bands in modern rock music have ripped off 2010. Take that. There's fucking so many of these bands just go, let's just take that from 2010. So many of them do it. And I mean, and really like, the Amy Lee song, the one with the long name. I mean, I can't be bothered to read the whole thing out. This week's show is long enough. Oh no, already. no, oh no, 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 no. We've already, no, we've we, already given. I think we need. To, I think we need titles. I think we need to appreciate the sheer shitness of this. Uh, one day, the only butterflies left will be in your chest as you march towards your death. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, it's fuck like yourself. Really Ridiculous. bad emo thing. But again, I mean. It is very obviously geared towards Amy Lee and her strength. And it's kind of noticeable that Amy Lee sounds like Amy Lee. Yes. And when Ollie, Ollie's voice comes in, it's all auto-tuned and processed. And you yes. think, mm, well, Amy Lee can, can kind of, can she obviously doesn't need to do that. She can actually sing. And I'm, and it's just a sort of evanescent, it's just a sort of evanescency ballad. And like, again, like, I'm like, well, well, who are you? Where are Bring Me The Rise in all this? Exactly. I don't feel like I know who you are anymore. It's almost and, like a playlist, isn't it? Again, it is. And I think, you know, like, is, did I hate this while it was on? Did I think this was shit? Was I like, oh God, this is a disgrace and it's rubbish. No, I didn't. I didn't feel like that. But did I feel excited by it? Did I feel connected to it? Did I want to re-listen to it? I mean, the first two songs I was like, oh, okay, maybe we're going to get something good here. And we don't really. No. Like, to be honest, really... I, I've probably come across sounding as if I think that this EP is a disgrace and it's awful. Um, I don't, to be honest. I think there's there's plenty of stuff on it which was va- vaguely interesting. I'm just getting fed up of um, hearing music which sounds like it's written by committee. 
rather you know by by like people sitting around and wondering what's the best way we can market our band rather than people just sitting around and going why don't we just write the best songs that we can write and i don't feel like bring me have ever been interested in that ever at any point in their career i just don't think i just don't think they're built like that and i you know if you don't care about that then you're welcome to them but i am so irked and so bored of that and to me it's the exact antithesis of what rock music should be or any music really i think all music should start from the point of let's make the best song we possibly can um amy lee whether you like that song or not and i totally understand why you wouldn't and i don't particularly like it myself but she is the most human element on this entire fucking thing yeah undoubtedly by undoubtedly a fucking is. mile because she actually mm-hmm. has some talent now there are, there mm-hmm. is talent in bring me the horizon but it certainly doesn't come from um ollie sykes i mean I, I i've said a lot on this how jordan fish is jordan fish is incredibly talented as like a producer and a mangler of sounds and p- putting collages of sound together and stuff like that but it's kind of interesting how bring me has kind of become jordan fish and ollie sykes these days hasn't it i mean i do feel sorry for the rest of the band yeah yeah you know what do they fucking yeah. do anymore well there's a bit of guitar on this one yeah there's there? a bit of guitar on it but like it's nothing particularly if, if you took the guitar if you took the guitar tracks out of this and listened to them on their own they are the most basic boring guitar i mean it's just it's just dull you know it's just not very interesting i i mean plus points to this record at least it sounds more cohesive than ammo does but barely mm. like it's still a fucking mess it's still all over the place um I, you know bringing amy lee on i mean evanescence is another presence that will get get them on playlists you know that people they'll get evanescence fans checking them out i think they've chucked nova twins in as a kind of oh yeah we've got our fingers on the pulse and we're listening to fresh new stuff blah 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 and probably to um make people you know as an argument against what i'm kind of saying but i think they always do that just to chuck those people in you know they they did it last time with um lotus eater you know yeah Yeah, i i i just Every time I listen to them, I just hear cynical computer music. And some of it is very impressive, but that isn't what music should be, in my opinion. It should be something that moves me emotionally. And Bring Me never do that, and they never have. And I don't think they ever will, because I don't think they're capable of it. Uh, so there you go. Post-Human Survivor Horror uh, by Bring Me the Horizon is out now. I don't know if we will review the next Bring Me the Horizon. Inevitably in six months to be an EP featuring S Club Juniors, Liam Gallagher, Cliff Richards and um, the Shaken Vac woman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it uh, past them. I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, Anything um, for column inches. So there you go. And it'll be like the old school. Maybe, a, maybe do a do a sort of um acoustic one do you get like uh oh they, they could Krause. they couldn't do an acoustic one that's the whole thing like if you try to um transpose any bring me song to acoustic guitar you wouldn't be able to do it keith richards um i don't don't not fully su- subscribe to this um 
to this ethos but keith richards used to say if you can't play a song on an acoustic guitar then it isn't a good song how billy joe armstrong said as well well he nicked it from keith richards i mean keith richards probably nicked it from someone else to be fair but it's that's a quite a common saying in music he nicked it from uh he nicked it from uh, liam howlett (laughs) (laughs) who just decided to undermine his life's work he Uh, nicked it from uncle cracker um uh, (laughs) yeah but whilst i don't always subscribe to that I do often think about that quote when I listen to Bring Me the Horizon and I do wonder how many Bring Me the Horizon songs would sound good acoustically and I would wager very few, probably around 10% of them. Okay, Um, that's fine. Uh, There we go. Um, So there you go. The new Bring Me the Horizon EP, I think we're going to have to finally stop speaking about it now for a couple of minutes. Um, (laughs) Let's move on to our next album, Eels. Earth to Dora, the 13th studio album from the LA indie rockers, the follow-up to 2018's The Deconstruction. Um, This feels like a a band, well, we haven't spoken about them on this podcast, but it feels like a kind of a blast from the past a little bit, or even, even though the Eels are a band who have been continually putting out records since the 90s when they formed. Um, I've never really gone very deep into the Eels back catalogue. They were one of those weird little bands that experienced a little bit of crossover success. Well, actually, some mass, pretty massive crossover success in the 90s and then sort of vanished from the mainstream whilst maintaining that hardcore fan base, which, you know, due to stuff like Novocaine for the Soul is still pretty big. You know, they had some big hit singles in a time where you could you could do that it seems insane to me in 2020 sitting here that you know we've just been speaking about ruining your eyes and quite a lot you don't really get anything like that level of um success if you are an odd little indie band uh in the same way as eels are uh in the mainstream but in the 90s they became kind of uh, mainstream pop stars for a little while didn't they yeah yeah in a weird way i mean it's it's essentially the project of singer songwriter and multi-instrumentalist mark oliver everett known by his stage name of e um they're very prolific like you say they've basically been releasing records since the mid 90s and haven't um haven't really stopped since then the largest um break they've taken was between blinking lights and other revelations and ombre lobo which was 2005 to 2009 but they're relatively consistent in terms of like the amount of time that they spend between records and stuff like this Mm -hmm. and this is their 13th album as a result of that um similarly to you i certainly haven't listened to every eels record by any stretch of the imagination um but i have i've um popped in from time to time and generally i tend to always like what i hear from eels for the most part i quite like them yeah i mean if you're not familiar with eels as a band and what they sound like i would sort of describe them as a more straightforward singles based flaming lips Mm. um they're never quite as weird as the flaming lips but they have that kind of lo-fi psychedelic unique sound to them and um I, I i like this record it's the first deals album that i've listened to in a very very long time so how good it is compared to their back catalog i couldn't really tell you but i think this is good in fact i'm going to go as far to say as the first half of this is excellent culminating in the song are you fucking your ex which is track six and one of the highlights of the record i think yeah. um which has got this dark kind of almost 80s kids tv theme quality to it mm. uh i i really like it and i think the first three songs are really strong as well anything for boo 
Um, are we all right again? Are uh, you know well flaming Lipsy? It's a really really strong start, and straight away I was like, man, this is this is going to be really good. Mm. Um, I think it drops off a little bit after that, even yeah. though the song that comes straight after it, the Gentle Souls, is pretty good. Um, I was going to say I, like, I was surprised you weren't including that song as well because I, I think I think the first seven are I don't like them as much as you do, um, but mm. I think the first seven songs on this record are really really strong, and then the second half is is is. Okay. I think it's just because um, uh, are you fucking your ex is like a sort of a proper album highlight, mm-hmm. uh, okay. so that's why I put. This. But yes, um, yeah, I think the Gentle Souls is really good. Um, there's stuff in it that you probably heard them do before. There's like big organ behind this shuffling rhythm that they have on um i got hurt uh and baby let's make it real is proper beatlesy i mean just a massive yeah. beatles circle jerk nothing wrong with that to be fair um and then they they kind of end it with the most lo-fi thing on the the album as well this is a this is a pretty good record i think it's it doesn't need to be 12 tracks mm. um, or 13 tracks. I can't remember how many tracks it is on top of my head. I think it is 12, yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, again, it's one of those things where kind of, I guess, unlike Bring Me The Horizon, which keeps throwing stuff at you all the time, all the time, all the time, I'm quite happy to sit in the presence of this record and just let it do its thing because it's very understated. It's quite nice. It doesn't really ask you, the listener, that much it doesn't ask that much of you to to be enjoyed it's very easily enjoyable yeah i think that's fair enough it kind of reminds me of a lot of kind of lo-fi american indie films in a way like Mm. the films like garden state and stuff like that it has that kind of whimsical um uh bent to it i mean eels do generally really i mean which is which is either going to be something that you find heartwarming or extremely irritating i would say um for the most part i found i find this really heartwarming there are irritating things around the record um that drove me fucking nuts i have to say um but they're not actually involved with the record itself um reading the press materials made my fucking eyes roll steve i know that won't uh mean anything to you because you don't tend to read press materials i haven't read them for this one though <laughs> i was also given a link this isn't strictly press materials as it is actually on their album but i was given a link to artist notes for the album i was like oh i should probably read that because that will give me lots of very um interesting uh, information on this album only to be confronted with a transcript of an imaginary conversation between e aka uh, mark oliver everett and a still alive john lennon Oh, no. It was 5,000 words. Oh. I read the whole fucking thing. Uh, it's pretty... did you do it in Paul McCartney? Did you do it in a Paul McCartney voice? <laughs> no. I bet he did. <laughs> That's no. a good one, John. No, it's uh, very surreal. Oh God, it it drove me fucking insane. Just it's so sort of self-referential. Amu- like the the, the uh, not very amusing waffle um I, I it just infuriated me so much um but it, I, I mean is it related to the record not really it just really fucking pissed me off um i think it's interesting because in a lot of ways 
this is you know 13th studio album by a band this is like the therapy thing isn't it it's like it's another album by a good band how do you make that exciting and they've kind of tried to the way that they're trying to sell this record is like a distraction from the um from the pandemic and everything that's happening around the pandemic because these songs were written Mm. before the pandemic bar one song are we all right again is the song that was um written just as the pandemic sort of kicked off um i mean the thing is is the majority of records are a distraction from the pandemic because most of them were written before the pandemic (laughs) yeah i mean it's such it's such a kind of ridiculous thing to sell your record on um this is a good album and I'm getting really hung up on stuff that doesn't matter, AKA the way that it's been sort of sold to me, but it really fucking annoyed me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It really pissed me off. I was just like, it? just say it's a new eels record. Like I know that's not exciting, but don't try and like build up this narrative that doesn't fucking exist. I mean, to be honest, that is the, um, that is the job of a lot of PRs. Um, mm-hmm. But oh my God, it was, it just fucked me off and it annoyed me. But the problem, why am I focusing on this? Well, the problem is, is this is Mark Oliver Everett's project. And it is one of those, he is very front and center on the whole thing. And before, <laughs> before, reading those press materials i was like oh this is a nice new album and then afterwards i found this album infuriating did you yeah. really that's fucking really it's really weird i mean i was gonna say just before we go in i mean i was i listened to it and i was like well this is a breakup album this is one of them slack like garden state and stuff like this is a yeah. you know slacker anthems yeah. and eels do that love lawn slacker thing like oh she dumped me man yeah they yeah. do that they do that pretty well but what i found weird about the record you know this isn't really relevant to what you've just been saying but he gets seems like he gets more upset the longer it goes on the more upset he gets that he's not in this relationship uh is what i sort of found as i was listening to it and i was like he get it. i think that's why the second half i was like oh because he gets more somber and he gets more like <sighs> like as the album goes on and i was like you should be getting over it mate don't get more sad get over it well certainly i think eels generally sound better when they're happy rather than they're, when they're sad yeah. when they're happy they have a kind of um eels-esque quality to them and certainly the first half sounds happier than the second half. Um, mm. I didn't really see that whole getting over a broken relationship thing. I think I think if that is a through line of the record, then it's not kind of... I don't mean this in a in a as nasty way as it's going to sound um, necessarily, but it's not like a genuine one. It's from a character point of view. I mean, I did read about... Um, yeah. Oh, the song that you said was a highlight. Yeah. Um, are you fucking your ex is from the perspective of someone else. Um, he was having a conversation with a friend of his, a female friend of his who, uh, and saying like, how do you not get jealous? And she said, I just fuck my ex apparently. Um, and so she, he just tried to write a song from the point of view of someone who would be jealous about that. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like that's absolutely fine. Um, but it's a weird one because when, when, the the front person of a band is the band which is the case with eels i mean eels is basically a beck style project really Mm -hmm. um when that's the case uh the more you find out about that person that you know it, it should kind of add to why 
that is a good thing and you you should try to learn more about that per- you you should learn about that person through the songs and stuff like that and ironically i just found that whenever i looked outside of the songs itself i started to get really annoyed with mark oliver bennett uh mark oliver everett personally i i just get really annoyed with the things that he was doing and the things that he was saying and you know i didn't need to read those things but i personally i kind of considered it my well, part of my job to read those things you know to to give me an appreciation and understanding of what the record's actually about and where it's coming from uh which is really frustrating because i haven't been as annoyed by uh press notes like this for quite a long time but it, it i i don't know it just really rubbed me up the wrong way it doesn't feel like a very professional thing to do because I feel like I'm re- reviewing the press notes rather than the actual album. I do like the album. I think it's quite good. But it has had a big effect on how I listen to this record now. And I can't unknow that. It's really annoying. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, I didn't have that because oh, I didn't even get sent the press notes. So no, I... that was my fault, to be honest. Yeah. Although um, I'm glad I didn't send you the press notes now, to be honest. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but the mu- musically, you know, I rather enjoyed this. Um, it maybe, is good. Uh, it n- is good. Never, never meet your heroes. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't want this to sound like I don't like Mark or Oliver Everett. Maybe he's a lovely, lovely guy. And I'm just really annoyed with the way that they've they've um, promoted this album. But it just felt so unnecessary. And I saw through all of it and it was annoying. Yeah, I think it is hard and you get 13 albums in to try and differentiate from each one. So maybe that's it. But but for what is what if you just want a nice album to listen to today, because, you know, we're speaking about a lot of fucking quite intense shit this week mm. um if you want something quite nice to listen to earth to dora it's quite a nice record yeah. so there you go eels earth to dora is out. i don't really have anything else to say about it um to be perfectly honest that's what i have to say um so let's move on to something which fucking hell uh this is not particularly a nice record to listen to that doesn't make it bad but may our chambers be full by emma ruth rundle and thou a collaboration between the ethereal singer songwriter who we have always been very very keen on here on the show and the noisy bastards (laughs) thou um sludgy doom bastards i would say yeah that's probably i mean noisy is quite broad isn't it um but they are very noisy um uh, I got this and I thought, I know what this is going to sound like. Mm-hmm. Did you? Uh, well, I've seen them live at Roadburn. Okay. So, right, so but, you did. but I understand what you're saying from the point of view. I believe what you're saying is sometimes you get collaboration albums um, and you think, uh, or super groups, let's say, and you go, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we got, I don't know. If that tongue, uh, Giraffe Tongue Orchestra album had sounded like a combination of Mastodon, The Dillinger Escape Plan and Alice in Chains, oh my God, what would that sound like? Um, but it doesn't, because quite often when you do when you hear collaboration albums or supergroups or whatever, the reason that they do that stuff is because they want to do stuff that is different from their day jobs. Um, I think a strength of May Our Chambers Be Full is that it sounds like Emma Ruth Rundle fronting Val, which to me is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I put it on the first song, Killing Floor, slow, doomy, bleak, heavy, but with this lilting, beautiful, tranquil, ethereal vocal over the top of it. 
it was entirely what I was expecting it to sound like. Mm. Absolutely. If in my head you said, what do you reckon that will sound like? That is what it sounded like. But that's not to say that the effect of that was any less exhilarating exactly. because I knew what it was that I was getting. Well, I didn't even know, but I got what I expected yeah. or what my head told me that I was going to get. Sometimes it's nice to be surprised, but sometimes mm-hmm. you get an idea in your head of what something will sound like. And if it doesn't sound like that, it would almost be disappointing, you know? And I feel like that this is one of those cases where I'm really pleased that it sounded like exactly how I imagined it would sound. Obviously, I had the advantage of having seen them at Roadburn uh, in April mm. last year. But yes, this is certainly for the first six songs uh, out of the seven. This is Emma Ruth Rundle fronting Val with, um, oh, what's the Val's vocalist name? Brian, is it? Um, occasion, Yes, Brian Funk occasionally... Uh, sort of backing her with his absolutely terrifying screams. Um, I love I love those two things coming together as well. I yes, so like that is brilliant. Yes, that is great. They do. I a, mean, they do a lot of call and response on this album, which mm-hmm. sounds amazing. But when they're both singing slash screaming together, it is brilliant, and it's mixed in such a beautiful way. So Emma is like at the forefront of it and uh brian is is mixed down a little bit but that actually sounds brilliant it sounds brilliant like that i love it yeah yeah um so i mean we should probably let's go i'm gonna go straight into the last song the valley which is nearly nine minutes long um which is really 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 good um it moves very slowly it's incredibly involving it's just great dark music and then the crescendo that closes this record, the crescendo that it builds up to over the course of eight minutes and 58 seconds, when you finally get there, it is so, so powerful. Like, it is just, I feel like, again, it's that thing where you go, I kind of, I, I mean, in, in that instance, I was like, there's sort of no suggestion that you're going to get what you, when you start that song off, there's not really any suggestion. There's no real clue that you're going to get what you end up getting. There's no clue as to Um, where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't listen to the first 30 seconds and the last 30 seconds Mm. and go, oh, well, I see how those two things happened. And that is, that is a brilliant, brilliant thing. But when you finally get that payoff, man, um, is that the best song on the record? I mean... Uh, it's one of the best songs of the year. I think you've yeah. un- undersold it massively, to be totally honest with you. And you've been quite kind to it. Um, this record <laughs> starts very, very strongly indeed. It, like, I, I, And it just gets better as it goes on. And The Valley is a culmination of it just, just being... Of just brilliance. Um, the best song is definitely safe for last, in my opinion. Um, it's that song alone is a quarter of the entire album um and it absolutely justifies its running time um it's unusual for this album in that it's the only song that could have quite easily been a solo emma ruth rundle song i think um the other six songs on the album do sound like they are a combination of the two bands um I think it feels like it's scoring like the showdown in some sort of epic Western in a way, but it's really slow and brooding and grand widescreen and it's scope. 
I'm stunned every single time I listen to it because as you say, it's yes, it's almost nine minutes in length and it feels like it's three. Um, absolutely, unequivocally, 100%, one of the very best songs written all year. I think it's absolutely fucking amazing. And the fact that this album starts strong and gets better as it goes on. I mean, I honestly think, and this isn't, I don't mean this to sound like a bad thing i think killing floor is probably I, w- I don't even want to say it's the weakest song on the record but i do think it's start this album starts at an eight and ends on a 10 basically i think it's mm. fucking brilliant i mean yeah i really really like this album to bit of a peek behind the curtain we had to submit our top 20 albums of the year for metal hammer a few weeks ago um and you know as a small indication as to how much i like this record I received the promo for it a day or two, I think two days before we had to submit the list. And I'd only managed to listen to this record twice the whole way through. And it got in my top 10. Oh, fucking hell. I think it's fucking amazing, this record. I mean... You know, and and obviously I've I've gone on and on and on about how incredible I think Emma Ruth Rundle is, and I'm not going to stop anytime soon. But Thou, I've had a far trickier relationship with. You know, Thou are one of those bands who I like really, really respect. But we reviewed the last Thou record on this um, podcast, and there's some brilliant yeah. things on it, but it's way too <laughs> long, and like it, you know, goes mm-hmm. on and on and on, and like. Thou, I've got a lot of respect for, but I wouldn't go as far as to say that I love them or anything like that. Mm. But the combination of the two on this record and the fact, I mean, this album is half the length of the last Thou record. This is 36 minutes and nine seconds long. It just works beautifully. It is that classic kind of light meets the dark, beauty, the beast, Jekyll and Hyde, yada, yada, yada thing. But as we say on this show all the time, those disparate elements and mushing them together, it works and it's done to a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant standard. Um, all of these songs combine those two desperate, disparate elements expertly, like Magical Costs mm. is particularly noteworthy for the call and response. Rhythmically, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. 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 And again, yeah, I mean, like I've put kind of... Um, silk and sludge making up the vocals and the the verses the 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 vocals like you get this kind of the song monolith i really like the the kind of grunge riff and it's a it's an album that it kind of swirls you around yeah yeah you know it's like being in a it's like it's like being in um in, in a tumble dryer but with like a kind of comfort blanket with nothing but a comfort blanket yeah. in there to sort of hold for you to hold on to something nice and soft. So it's like, it's really harsh, but it's really soft as well. Yeah. And that's a very, very difficult seesaw to get right. And they get it right more often than not. I think you like this album a lot more than me, although saying that I've not had it as long as you, I don't think. Um, although you only listened to it twice and you put it in your top 10. I think that's, you know. A, oh, I just, I just think it's bold. Won- I just think mm. it's wonderful. I just, I just love everything about it. I mean, and and it's also like, I, I mean, uh, based on those two listens alone i thought it was um if anything i thought it might be a bit one note but actually the more i listen to it the more i hear you just mentioned grunge there i mean mm. um the song uh, into being to me sounds like an extraordinarily heavy version of mayonnaise by smashing pumpkins you know yeah, yeah, uh, it, does, it yeah. borrows that same sort of guitar feedback squeal at least and i think the more you listen to it the more 
you hear all these other influences coming into it and then it feels so much more than merely a collaboration between two amazingly distinctive dark interesting artists as if that wasn't interesting enough as it was um i fucking love this record and we're getting these you know these collaboration albums that are coming out i mean this is actually part of a series um the record label sacred bones sacred bones have done some amazing stuff that we've talked about um including hillary woods um zola jesus a really interesting label but it's part of that alliance series which is a series of collaborative releases which include that uniform and the body record that was released a couple of years ago and the marissa nadler and stephen brodsky album that we reviewed i think last year which we also thought were really really good yeah i mean i want this series to continue forever because Mm. they've put out some like both of those records uniform and the body and marissa nadler and stephen brodsky I think there's a, I mean, there's an argument to say that that uniform and the body record is like better than the output of both of those bands, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I certainly, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I prefer this to some of the Emma Ruth Rundle stuff that I've heard or marriages stuff. No, but I, me neither, to be honest. I prefer it to anything I've heard from Thou, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, they're great. These things are great. When you get the right artists together, these things are great. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get more of them. Um, Young Blood and Bring Me the Horizon, full album. <laughs> would be the main one I would want to see. But actually, uh, that's sorry. Just I know we've gone on for ages, but that is just another. That is another good point. This is a this is a collaboration born out of how cool would that sound together? It's got fuck all to do with you know um, uh, how how many people you know emma ruth rundle and thou sound really disparate in lots of ways and it's not a collaboration that you would think of immediately but someone has had the foresight to realize that the creative combination of those two elements would produce something absolutely amazing you just said it's a silken sludge or something like that That, that's Mm. a really good way to put it they could have called this album silken sludge uh although actually may our chambers before is a very good name but that's the that's the thing bring, that that's that's the difference that's the difference between you know young blood and bring me the horizon or emma ruth rundle and thou mm. well young blood's a new Jimi hendrix by all accounts so, oh uh, yeah <laughs> i didn't even read that i just saw the headline no, i was like no. no i'm not even looking at that anyway there you go may our chambers be full by emma ruth rundle and thou is out now it is very 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 good um the next album we're going to cover comes from nothing uh the great dismal is the name of the record it's a fourth album from the the band here, they're sort of weird band to be signed to Relapse Record. They're a sort of shoegazy rock band. Um, yeah. Nothing. And yet they're on Relapse, who yeah. are an extreme metal label. Yeah. Don't know how that happened, but here we are. Here Good we for are. them for branching out. Uh, it's a follow-up to 2018's Dance on the Blacktop album, which we were going to cover, but then we didn't cover for some reason. Because, I mean, I don't really listen to this band that much, or I haven't listened to them that much in the past. Um, and you said, Renfrey, that it wasn't all that. So we just didn't really bother doing it. I didn't like it. Um, I, uh, But weirdly, I do really like nothing. Although having said that, I have a very up and down relationship with them, if I'm totally honest. Um, I was invited to go and see them when they played Birthdays on their first album i think the first album mm-hmm. had just come out or it was just about to come out uh they were supported by a very early pre-debut album version of milk teeth as well who were very different to the milk teeth that we got later on um but yes that was the first time i saw milk teeth as well um i found the band themselves so irritating that i left after a few songs which i hardly ever do i hardly ever leave a gig midway through but they were, were they pretending to talk to george harrison 
No. Um, but they were just pissing around. Um, I'm probably over-exaggerating when I say this and memory not being uh, good and all that kind of thing, but it felt like it took them about 10 minutes before they even started playing a song. And they basically came on and started doing... Oh. Yeah, exactly. And they, You're not no FX. Exactly. And they came on and they started doing these shit British accents, which I think they thought would be funny, but it was to a room full of people who were just like, just fucking get on with it. What are you doing? And they just pissed me off. I just, I just, I just was not in the mood. I think you got a real bee in your bonnet this week. I do. I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, with well, everyone. Well, I was going to say, I mean, this was fucking even five. Main, even Maynard James Keenan <laughs> getting a kick in this week. What kind of week is it? <laughs> this is five or six years ago. And, you know, I think, I, to be honest, I think I was in a mood that night anyway for some other reason. But, like, it just really set me off. I was like, fuck that band. I can't be asked. And the uh, wonderful, wonderful PR, um, shout out to Tom, uh, was like, what did you think of the show? And I, as I often am, uh, I was very, very honest with him. I was just like, I thought it was a fucking shit show. They're fucking dreadful. Uh, and he was like, oh, well, I'll send you a promo copy of the album anyway, because <laughs> he's a nice man. Um, and uh, it was guilty of everything. And I stuck it on and was like, oh, fuck me. This band's brilliant. Like, I really, really, really liked it. I've responded really, really well to it. As we say, shoegaze kind of revitalist. I mean, I fucking love shoegazers. Um, long-time listeners to this show will know. Their follow-up album, Tired of Tomorrow, I thought was even better. But then they released Dancing on the Blacktop in 2018. And I was very disappointed. Very mm. disappointed. I thought it was very weak, to be honest, from this band. So this led me to brace myself somewhat when it came to listening to The Great Dismal. Um, and thankfully, there's no need, uh, as it pretty much has become my second favourite uh, album by Nothing, probably after Tired of Tomorrow, um, more or less on my first listen. Um, with a few more listens, I might even consider it their best. Um, it starts on an incredibly melancholy down note, and there aren't many bands alive today who do melancholy quite as well as Nothing. Um, but uh, the song A Fabricated Life is probably one of the most depressing album openers i've ever heard on any album ever they've become known for being very very melancholy but starting an album which is as downbeat as this is a brave move. Uh, shows shows a lot of restraint i think yeah to start your album like this and i thought it might just be like an intro track but it's about five minutes no, isn't it, yeah song? yeah it's about five minutes and it, it's you know it, and i was kind of like at first i was like interesting move um and i didn't love it when i first heard it but on repeated listens i think it's a really cool way to start the record basically because um the power with which say less then comes in again it's all about juxtapositions yeah. i think Wicked. the power like say less then suddenly sounds like the heaviest thing you've ever heard because you've had five minutes of very dreary like and when i say dreary i don't mean bad it's just very depressing and low fi very somber very somber. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i like the sound of this band i keep, i was sort of thinking to myself like why are they on relapse it's weird that but then actually there are points where i go i mean say less sits somewhere to me it's like a sort of industrialized chew gaze somewhere between god flesh and ride and that's pretty unusual as a sound, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm not really sure there's many bands that do that. Um, and like, you know, that opening first bit is like utter fucking dismal misery. Yeah. The first song. Um, and there's stuff like, there's a song called April Ha Ha, which mm -hmm. is really grunge. And there's a lot of grunge stuff. I mean, they caught my ear uh, c continually just by 
having that 90s sound. Yeah. That 90s sound, like I hold on to like a pathetic comfort blanket. Um, <laughs> waves and, and waves and waves and waves of guitar. Just, just yeah. like crashing over you. Yeah. Ha- yeah, yeah. A- April Ha Ha sounds like a grunge band driving past you in a sports car. <laughs> what, I, what I liked about it, I was like, this likes being rock as well. You know, you know, sort of alt rock was a bit like, we're not really rock. Well, this yeah. is like, we, we bloody are. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's and, some, I mean, forgive the, the, the old school way of saying it, but there's some bollocks to this, you know, there's some, there's yeah. some to it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, they really good rhythmical parts like bernie sanders is fucking great um and, and the song's good I mean, as well are you i thought you were just posting your political colors to the mask <laughs> yes i am <laughs> yeah uh i mean so much of this is like i say it's 90s rock it's a bit like what we said with the narrowhead record they're doing a really good impression of stuff that just doesn't really exist anymore although it does exist yeah. again now well, yeah. um it's quite big that again. we just fucking love so i just think we're gonna love it i mean catch a fade I listened to it. I was like, how is this not come out in 1994? Yeah. How? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This came out in a bullshit. I don't believe this didn't come out in 1994. It's too good an impression. I don't mind a sort of an impression of a time if it's a really good impression. Yeah. This is a very, very good impression. Um, there's, I mean, there's a song called Just a Story. And I was like, that could be a quicksand song. Mm. You know, there's so many bits where I'm like, well, that sounds a bit like Mud Honey. Oh, well, that sounds a bit like Ride. That sounds like my bloody Valentine. That it's, sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. That sounds like, do you know what I mean? There's I'm, loads of... I've just, always, I mean, I've, I've never, I've not said this aloud very often um, on a public forum because it could sound really disparaging. But one thing I've already said about Nothing is that they release better album, better Swerve Driver albums than Swerve Driver did. You know, <laughs> they, they just, they just have got that, um shoegazy kind of yeah my bloody valentine-esque swerve driver ride-esque sound down so well and actually if you go back to the originals it oh, i think it is done at least to the standard of those originals if not better in some cases at, at their best at their best mm. and i think this record is um yeah if not their best record then certainly their second best after uh tired of tomorrow it's a really 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 good listen and beyond saying all that stuff that we said that it's a really really good impression of those bands and like beyond that i mean in blueberry mountains i'd like to um uh give a shout out to because it starts like deceptively chilled out before these stabbing guitars usher in these waves and of guitars and swathes of digital delay and i fucking love it and it, it adopts the same kind of tricks over and over again but it does it really well so you know i'm quite happy with that personally yeah it's really good i enjoyed it i mean you know i don't really again it's one of those ones where i don't really have loads and loads and loads and loads and loads to say about it yeah yeah, because uh it's a style of a thing that i just really really like but i just like i say if you do if you write i mean again like god i feel like we're fucking hammering bring me the horizon this week but the difference between being zeitgeisty and not really writing any good songs. I mean, oh, fuck it. I'm going to put Fever. Th- I'm going to say Fever 33 rather than saying Bring Me the Rising because I feel like we've fucking hammered Bring Me the Rising. I don't think Fever 33 are as zeitgeisty as Bring Me the Rising, obviously. But I think the kind of you're trying to sound modern and you've not really written anything uh, that is much of a song, and I that is less interesting to me than you know. <laughs> 
you sound like a lot of bands that I already really, really like, but fuck me, you just written great, great songs. songs. Yeah. And that's, that's enough. Yeah. It's the, this it's or, the exact opposite of that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Go on. Um, this or Narrowhead. Only, you can only have one. Which one did you pick? Um, for me, I think I would say nothing. Um, I really like that Narrowhead record a lot. And I would probably argue that the Narrowhead record is probably more dynamic, if I'm totally honest. But I just, I just, I think the songs are better on this record overall. As much as I like that Narrowhead record, which I do really like. Mm. I would just pump for the Narrowhead record. Okay. Just. It is close. Because, because it's heavier. See, I think this record's heavier. That's interesting. Yeah. Overall, okay, maybe yeah. Not, yeah, I, I think it's got. I think that narrowhead record has got. I got is more. Okay, it's slightly more. This is more quicksand. That's more helmet. If you like. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can see I mean? that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know if I like quicksand or helmet more, but anyway. Um, I do. But yeah, I, I would, slightly prefer quicksand. So that does make sense. Yeah. To helmet. Okay. Well, I. Actually, no, I definitely prefer Helmet. Just now, now I know that you think <laughs> I just love water trifles, so you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah, but, well, what, what's your beef with Paige Hamilton? I don't have any beef with Paige Hamilton, I think he's fantastic. Well, I, just, I just love I'm him water trifles. I'm not you should him love Paige, you should love Paige Hamilton. God, you're in a mood. This is such a mood, slagging, fucking slagging off Paige Hamilton now. Unbelievable. So arrogant now. Move on. I'm um, not going to slag off this next release <laughs> at all. Nothing. The Great Dismal is out right now. And we're going to move on to what I think straight away, I'm going to say. This actually came out last week. Um, but we've reviewed eight. We're reviewing eight releases this week. Uh, without any shadow of a doubt at all, this is the best release of the week. Zelenada, Wake of a Nation, a brand new six-track EP from the mind of Manuel Gagno, uh, his black metal meets blues project, which we have been nothing but positive about um, since, I guess, that it's its inception, really, since both, I think, both you and I, pre even pre this podcast, have spoken about how much we think Zelenada are fucking brilliant. I um, streamed his album, debut album on the independent. I've, I I've did been... the, Go on. did the, the first UK feature with him for, for metal hammer. Ooh, um, hello. Yeah. So you're so, well, you're welcome, Manuel. Goodness sake. Well, I was, you're welcome. Britain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we have here, as I said, a six-track EP from a band who you and I both think incredibly highly of. I think we, well, obviously we reviewed, we didn't review Stranger Fruit, the last album, because that had come out before we started doing the podcast, hadn't it? Quite possibly, yeah. But it was in both of our top 10 albums of 2018. No, it wasn't. That. It wasn't in mine. It was in yours. Was but it? It wasn't in mine. No, you keep, you've made this mistake a few times. No, yeah, yeah. I didn't quite. Well, I just, okay, I can't really remember, but I just assumed it would be because... How could it not be? Well, I have issues with Stranger Fruits, um, but but uh, I, I mean, I still think it's great. I think it's too long, basically. <laughs> but, oh <my> God. <laughs> Back when that wasn't a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. But um, but yeah, anyway, uh, but it is a brilliant record. And actually, I will say this. Sometimes I listen back to Stranger Fruit and I go, maybe I should have put it in my top 20, but it wasn't in my top 20. It was It was one of those bubbling under ones. Yeah, so um, fair enough. Rimfield's taste is not quite as good as I thought it was. <laughs> Didn't even get your top 
20. Fucking hell. No. I, I, I mean, I, I think Stranger Fruit is fucking insanely brilliant. I love it. I I, I think it's amazing. Like, I still... Uh, I've got Devil is Fine on vinyl. I don't have um, Stranger Fruit on vinyl. So, and Devil is Fine, I feel like it's a little bit easier to listen to because, I mean, that's really short. But again, this is... Um, uh, anyway, but anyway, listen. I, I, I love have it. been... I love it Enough. and it's and its highs are extraordinarily high. I just I just when I was looking at it as an album overall, I thought there were a few lows which pulled it down a bit. But yeah, I have oh, to okay. I have That's to I have to admit that when I do listen to it, uh, and I do still listen to it, um sometimes I go, Yeah, I probably should have put that in my top twenty. But anyway. Uh okay. So we have a six track EP here, it's seventeen minutes long. Um it's basically been inspired by like so many surprise releases and so many things that have been written this year it has been inspired in the kind of wake of well just what's going on in society i don't really feel like i need to spell what's been going on in society out to any of you particularly you presumably know specifically what i'm talking about manuel is part swiss part american america is a very divisive troubled country at the moment and as a black man he's got a lot to say about what's been happening over the last few months right yeah um zealanada has always had this um sort of political strand to it i suppose if you like but i suppose the difference is um, it's done it in a historical context in the past and it hasn't um uh, this is the first time that i feel like it's modernized it and said something about mm. what's happening today even though you know it's still it's uh, by doing it in a historical sense you are actually talking about what's happening today but this is directly referencing um you know george floyd and stuff like that bits and pieces like that um I I mean, I'm just going to get it straight. Up. Well, look, I whilst I was very happy to hear that Zia Leonardo were releasing new music, um, I didn't get super excited about this because personally, I think it's far harder to get excited about EPs than it is about albums. I mm. like albums. I like the form of albums. I like mm -hmm. the sort of um, the, the, the through line with albums that you tend to get, which you don't get to tend to get as much with eps nine times out of ten i'm gonna get more excited about an album than an ep so i was like oh that's cool that zealand are releasing a record but uh, an ep but i'm not super super excited about it um not only that they didn't actually send apparently they didn't send any promos out to press at all for this ep which is an interesting move i'm not exactly sure why they've chose not to do that um but they didn't send any promos out at all hence why we're re reviewing it a week later um, I did not expect for a millisecond that this release would be the best Zealanada release. Full stop. Like, I, th oh, I think, oh, I think okay. this is absolutely number one, the best thing they have done. Um, mm. by a fair distance actually as well. Um, it sounds very recognizably Zealanada whilst being totally different at the same time. 
Um, given Manuel's work with his previous band, Burst Bird Mask, which is just a very eclectic, strange kind of pop project, I suppose, I shouldn't really have been surprised that he's capable of doing something completely different while still retaining that identity. But I, I was, I still was. Um, Vigil is one of the most affecting pieces of music I've heard this year that directly references George Floyd. And there's been loads. There's been loads of pieces of music that have directly referenced George Floyd. We've heard the lyric, I can't breathe a lot this year. Sometimes it's been, sometimes it's been evoked in a really powerful way. Sometimes, I mean, we didn't mention this with the Fever 333 EP last week, but you know, the, the, the lyric I can't breathe is on that. And it's one of the least uh, powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact that I didn't even notice that. Well, <laughs> like, there you says go. Says a lot. Well, yeah. I, well, I will say this. When I heard it on Fever 333, I was like, God, I'm getting a little bit fed up of hearing this lyric, This, which is not a very empathetic and nice way to to sort of put it considering the circumstance but it it felt trite and old when I heard Fever 333 do it and then when I heard it done with Zeal and Arda I realised I'm not bored of this sentiment at all obviously because I would be an incredibly unempathetic person if I was um a sympathetic person if I was but it's the manner in which you do it and the way that Vigil is put together I mean I think a big thing with this record is piano seems to be a large part of the record um Mm -hmm. a very vital important part of the record and i think it builds so beautifully in a very post post rock manner um i mean this album reminded me a lot of post rock but it does it it does what a lot of post rock music does in half the time um the fact that this album is 17 minutes and it gets through so much stuff but then there's also references to say clipping i think the last song for example um wake of the nation the title track it echoes this theme of retribution which is explored on the first two zealand Arda releases but in very modern times musically it's not a million miles away from what we would have heard on the clipping record that we released uh, that we released <laughs> i'm doing your thing again my out al- my <laughs> album of the uh, yeah. um uh, it's not a million miles away from the sort of thing we would have um heard on the clipping album that we reviewed last week uh, visions of bodies being burned there's that lyric, we brought you up, we'll bring you down, we're riling up, we're riling up. This American carcass beckons, don't fall asleep at the wake of a nation. Uh, it's terrifying, <laughs> like terrifying to, um, uh, you know, anyone, anyone who, who is against this, this band or this act. Man, it manages to make a hook out of uh, Dyer's era, which is Latin for the day of reckoning you know, which I think is an incredible thing for any band to do. Um, but it does also still look back into, I'm sorry, I will give you, uh, <laughs> I'm just really excited to talk about this EP, but it does also reference history as well on the song um, Tuskegee, which feels like a far more kind of atmospheric black metal that we've, um, than we've heard from Zeal and Arda before. Because that song is a direct reference to the Tuskegee syphilis study conducted between 1932 and 1972 in Tuskegee, uh, uh, Alabama, 
A total of 600 African-American patients were invited to participate in a study and told they would be given free health care. They were given placebos but were not told of their diagnosis and the study was extended from six months to 40 years. The purpose of the study was to examine the effects of allowing syphilis to go untreated. Now, I didn't even know about this until I heard, until I heard this song, um, which just shows you about like the whitewashing of history. But I, I, I just, I think, I, I think this is revelatory, this EP. And I, I really wasn't expecting it. I was really sideswiped by it. I think when I heard that they weren't giving out promos, my my cynicalness, you know, mm. often when we're not sent promos. You thought, you thought it was Saw Part 5. Well, <laughs> no, no, no prior screenings. Well, no. I mean, the last time we weren't sent a promo for something was Static X, wasn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. you know, the last time it was like, oh, we're not servicing promos. You know, not always, but often it's just because people around the band know that they're onto a stinker and I, I didn't i didn't truly believe that this would be a stinker or anything like this but it seemed like a weird move not to not to give promos out um but and i still don't know the reason really but i think this is absolutely revelatory and i fucking love it Oof. sorry about that all right um <laughs> <laughs> our next week's show oh, uh, <laughs> sorry I, I yeah i i yeah it's good this go on you, what, yeah what this you? is this is fucking brilliant is it the best thing zine Lada have done um it certainly points to the most exciting future that we could get from zine Lada, a future that i yeah. maybe even as someone who is a massive fan of the band was i'm surprised i mean there are parts of this that really surprised me i thought i i thought i thought this band were good but i think what i will say is even though i'm not sure is this my favorite zinlada release i i I wouldn't like to call it at the moment um because it's short and i think there's something like stranger fruit has got loads of stuff on it but this obviously this has so much in such a small amount of time and they do stuff that i was like oh i almost thought maybe they couldn't do that yes i mean it sets its stall out so early. I mean, particularly lyrically speaking on Vigil, it is blunt. And like you say, it is modern. And I think Manuel has done a, a, a fucking brilliant job by managing to musically update the Zelenada sound for today. He's not talking about, for the most part, he's not talking about, you know, the slave trade as they, they were on the previous couple of records. And, you know, those ideas and those themes, that is political, whether you think it's him just, you know, it's whether you think it's just like, I don't know, um, uh, what is it, a gimmick or whatever, you know, it's still politically minded to bring those things up and, you know, talking about learning from the past. And I, I think that, everything they've done previously it it's an allegorical thing that is that makes it relevant to what's going on in the world today that's what they've always done Um, just to pick up on that point i do think people who have dismissed the elanada as a gimmick have totally missed the point yeah absolutely completely and utterly missed the point i mean and 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 i will even acknowledge and i think manuel would as well that it kind of started as a gimmick yeah but just because mm. something starts as a gimmick doesn't mean that it's always going to remain a gimmick sorry mm. i'll let you carry on i mean it is it is quiet yeah like it is the the quietest that i'd ever heard zelanada yeah um it is not raging 
or spite filled straight away it is downbeat it is somber and it is sad and then like you mentioned tuskage when that comes in <laughs> it is so heavy it's as extreme as they have ever been and ever sounded and i i had said before you know i i and i what i liked about stranger fruit is i thought having seen them a bunch of times having listened to the devil is fine i was like i i think the bluesy stuff he does is fucking awesome yeah and i was always like i'm not quite sure that he's nailed the black metal stuff mm-hmm. and it wasn't quite up to scratch in the same way and that's why i was like well it's intelligent of him to to kind of have it but to really lean on the bluesy stuff but it but now i mean they're just getting so much better at being an extreme metal band and that yeah. means that when the quiet vocal comes in it just sends a shiver down your spine it exactly. is so good at the seams one note piano manuel going i know how you're going to die it is striking it is terrifying and it feels so fucking real again you are put this band are putting themselves in the modern day climate and they were scary before you know the idea of what you know we are the slaves rising up Mm. and we are we are satanist slaves Mm. as opposed Mm. to christian slaves Mm. that's the idea of it that's you know that is scary right that Mm. would make a fucking terrifying film and a cool Um, cool concept yeah great and a fucking cool concept um but you know you get that i can't breathe interlude which is unbelievably powerful um trust no one again that's very clipping-esque as well isn't it that it is yeah 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 um astonishingly angry trust no one just a full-blown black metal song with this the bass line on it so deep so harsh like absolute discordant fury as good as any black metal i've heard this year pretty much like i I think that's so good that's a really good point actually which i forgot to pick up on The, the the black metal elements have improved greatly but i think the reason why i call this the best seal and arda release is what you were saying about the dynamics just the fact that yes this is the quietest that ZL and Arda have ever been, but it's also arguably the heaviest. I mean, it's such a fucking cliche to be like, oh, it's the quietest thing we've done and the loudest thing, the heaviest thing we've done. Mm. But that's the case with this. And that is the exact reason why it's so brilliant. That's exact, the exact reason why I think it is the best thing they've done. And then when you get to the title track, which I think is, that is a kind of alternative. I mean, you mentioned clipping. It's alternative rap meets Afrobeat rather than blues meets black metal. Yes. And that feels like you have so much potential to bring to an entirely new group of styles that you haven't even really touched on yet. And it's still heavy and it's still striking and it's still original and it's still two totally eclectic different types of music melding together and it's just fucking awesome. And I, I listened to that and I was like, shit, he can do whatever the fuck he wants with this band. It's not, it's yeah. not this, this, like you say, this gimmick, this concept that they came up with originally. Like what I will say is whether or not I think this is my favorite things Leonardo have released. It's certainly the one that makes me go when the next album comes along it could be literally anything. I think that's the thing. Because even even as someone who has championed this band from more or less day one, certainly day one since they were in um, critics consciousness, uh, I I was I was never despite championing championing them from the beginning. I wasn't always sure how much life there was in the band because I did think 
is this just going to remain black metal meets blues and is it just going to be a repeat of that i think i think that's was part of my issue with stranger fruit in that it was a refinement of devil is fine um, but it wasn't a massive kind of step forward but what really excites me about this release is like you've just said this is proof that no zealand Arda can and are and will be way more than just that and that is the most exciting thing about it I totally agree with you that it's the best um, release of the week. I would actually put it neck and neck with Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou. But yes, I think I think it is easily one of the best releases of the week. And I did not expect that from an EP. There's part of me which is really upset that this is an EP because this won't be able to get into my top 20 because we don't put EPs in there. But in terms of best EPs of the year, probably number one. And certainly in terms of the most striking um, uh, messages that have been delivered about George Floyd through music, this is up there with mm. Run... Well, I mean, I know Run the Jewels wasn't specifically about George Floyd, but this is up there with, you know, the Run the Jewels and the clippings and so on and so forth. It's fucking brilliant. I adore mm. it. I think it's brilliant. Really, very, very good. Uh, Wake of the Nation by Zilada is out. It's already been out for a week, so you've probably just been nodding along with all the stuff that we've been saying uh, if you've heard it. Um, if you haven't heard it, then you really, really, really do need to go and listen to that. Uh, let's close up the show. One more EP. Pup, this place sucks ass. Um, a stopgap EP from the US punk band. Um, last year, they released Morbid Stuff, which we both liked a lot. Uh, maybe not much as some people. Some people went absolutely fucking batty for it. It didn't end up on either of our albums of the year list, but I thought it was really, really good. Um, this is some just basically a little bit of leftover material from those sessions. Um, and I like Pup. The end. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you next week. Um, I, I I love Morbid Stuff. I think Morbid Stuff is the best album that Pup have released, personally. Um, yeah. I... I, I yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it. I, I kind of. I, I can't remember now, but I thought maybe it was in my top twenty. But I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, well, you'd know more than me. It if wasn't it, in my if it was or it wasn't, it, if it wasn't, then it was certainly bubbling under because you know I do really like that record and it is my favourite so far. Um, this feels like an EP made through circumstance. We've had quite a few of these records where you know I don't believe that if um, COVID nineteen hadn't happened. Um, I don't think this EP would be released. Pup would be on the road. Um, Pup um, are great on record, but they really, really um, thrive on the road. And it's, it's obvious that they love being on the road and, um, and they are a fantastic live band. They're great on record as well. And new pup material or unheard pup material, which is probably more accurate in this case, is always welcome. Um, but I do think it's probably safe to assume uh, that this wouldn't have been uh, in the release schedule um, if if it weren't for the events of this year. So, yes, Stopgap EP does uh, sound fair, but um, it's good because pup are really good um rot is actually a brand new song everything else is from the morbid stuff sessions mm. but rot is actually a brand new song and it's probably unsurprising to hear that it's the best song on the record uh it's the first song on the album and it's really really good um mm -hmm. uh just that brilliant kind of 
self-spiteful thing that pup do uh why disguise my bad intentions i've got nothing to hide except the tendency to separate the part of me that's feeling too desperate to die maybe i've been dreaming in lo-fi like i just can't stop maybe i've been rotting on the inside all alone with my negative thoughts all that kind of like miserable miserable lyrics but then the music is just so like ah like just so sing along and so kind of joyous in a weird way and pup do that so fucking well and i love it um go on it's great no it it is great um i i it's i think this is in general slightly more i didn't want to say listenable i think it's slightly less grittier uh and more slightly less abrasive than the majority of the stuff that was on morbid uh that was on morbid stuff i would agree um i I think the end of Floodgates into the opening of Edmonton, which is the last two tracks, is so wicked. Yeah. That drum smash and then that hardcore riff just comes in. Absolute yeah. beauty. Um, Edmonton yeah, all of the songs... Edmonton's only 70 seconds long, but it's fucking Yeah, great. it's fucking wicked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Nothing Changes is a really good song. They don't do super quiet that much pup so when they do that's you know that weezerisms that shine through yeah really nice i think you know what i actually yeah i would like to give a shout out to nothing changes because i really really liked that sort of unexpected anthemic ending at the towards the song's end and you're right pup don't do quiet very often but i did think it sounded really really good and for a bit i was like why didn't this make it onto morbid stuff and i think that's probably the reason i'm not sure if it would have fit on morbid stuff but it very much feels like a b-side or a, or a session that you know, it wasn't because the song wasn't any good. It just wouldn't fit on the album, you know. Mm, mm. So it's good. And the big talking point, really, though, because we've mentioned all the other songs, so there's only one left to talk about. And that is their cover of um, the Charlie Brooker theme tune from Screenwipe. <laughs> A.K.A. <laughs> A.K.A. Um, A.M. Uh, what's it called? A.M. 180. A.M. Yeah, by Granddaddy. Yeah, Grand which is, for those of you who don't know it, here's a little sample of it. So there you go. I hope we don't have well, to pay too much in copyright for that. Yeah, but that, that, uh, that, that wasn't you know, the song. <laughs> <laughs> and they just they just do. I mean, it's I, I didn't expect them to cover that, but it's pretty much sounds like what you would expect Pup covering you know, that song from Screenwipe. You know what? Like. You say you didn't expect them to cover it. And no, neither did I. I'm not going to pretend that I did. But it is a pretty perfect marriage, isn't it? Yeah, it, it actually is. works really well because it's got that kind of sarcastic, like. Oh, you fucking called my version annoying. <laughs> you called my version annoying and then did that. But Pup can do that really, really well. Pup do that kind of sneery, like, I want you to die. You piss me off mm. so much thing. And with the heavy grungy guitars that they add to it it sounds really it sounds really good it's but bar the guitars being a lot grungier and heavier it's a relatively straight cover but the marriage between band and song is actually a, a subtle kind of genius i think i think it works really well i like it a lot it's good mm. I like it. I mean, this is, again, this came out last week, so you may already have heard it. Um, again, if you're a fan, you probably have, and you're probably nodding along going, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I don't think it's as essential as what we've just been speaking about with Zelenada, which feels like an essential look towards the future. This is just, for, you know, like if you really, really love Pup, and you probably should because they are really fucking great. Um, this is just an extra little bit of fun shit from them that well, was hanging about. So the Zelen The Zelenada ep is an ep born out of the circumstances of this year and this is born 
um, despite the because of the circumstances. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. it's really good, and it's short great. as fuck. What is it? What is it? This is like thirteen minutes, isn't it? Uh, no, it's a uh, seventeen minutes and nineteen. Seventeen minutes. minutes. Okay, fair enough. So they're both the same length, more or less. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. There you go. This place sucks ass by Pup is out now, and finally we have finished. Cool, that's a long show. Ugh, yeah, yeah, I'm tired. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was long. Hey, we said it would be long. What? What do you we want? We did say we weren't. We're not liars. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's bring me the horizons fault, as is everything. So I've decided this week. Uh, <laughs> next week we're going to be reviewing new albums from Solstice Fear, Oliver Arnold's, and some other Scandinavian people. Maybe I don't know. Um, go over to <laughs> go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and sign up. You got a Mr. Bungle California podcast if you want to listen to that. You also got the Beastie Boys Ill Communication coming on Monday and classic album. And go to signaturebrew.com code at uk cheers to them as always for um all of their lovely work with us lovely work with us <laughs> don't know about that um thanks for supporting guys. the show yeah yeah send, some, send us some of the peach stuff lads yeah, um signaturebrew.co.uk put riot act in the checkout you'll get 10 percent off of your own pub you can be a landlord get out your bard <laughs> Deadman drunk your bard get out oh, oh god only, only only the 567th time i've heard that in my life all right <laughs> right good oh god this show is so long it doesn't know how to end i know yeah see you later it's like it, a that, dream, that, that, it's like a that, dream theater that, album yeah well, this is the end so this is the end or is it <laughs>